What's going on, guys? My name is El De Niro. Welcome to another episode of the Midnight Hour. I am joined today once again by recurring guest, Dr. John. Hello. How's it going? <laughs> Not bad. How are you? Grant. Grant. Uh, how is the whole doctor thing going for you? <laughs> still doing it, yeah? Yeah, still doing it. Uh, yeah, uh, it's fine. Thank you. Have you ever met Dr. Dre, actually? Yes. How is he as a medical practitioner? I don't care about his personality or his rap skills. Yeah, it was, it was spurious uh, and curious and all curious. Good choice of words. <laughs> um, yeah, um, Dr. Dre, uh, it was funny you brought him up, up actually. I, I'd just forgotten about him. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, he's still Dre, so. Yeah. Yeah. See, I... Uh, What's the word when you, um, when like you hear someone that you encourage them or enable them? What's that word? Like enablement. Just, yeah. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. I, I enabled your shitty wordplay joke with my <laughs> shitty wordplay joke. I have no idea why you brought them up, but, uh, I'm glad you did. I just said the word doctor. And then every time I say the word doctor in my head, the first lines from the game song, one blood where he goes, I'm the doctor's advocate. And I always just think like, yeah, he's the advocate for Dr. Dre, and it's, I don't know, it's like <laughs> interesting. Yeah, yeah. Mm. it was he like did a, so well for himself, Dr. Dre. Though, like, what a what a legacy. Yeah, Dre is the man, though. Like, I've yeah. always been a, a huge fan of him. Um, Incredible. Also, like, I think it's really funny how uh, Kendrick Lamar gives out about people ghostwriting songs. He's like, oh, you guys are ghostwriters. And it's like, yeah, Dr. Dre kind of made you who you are. And he's built his career on performing tracks that were ghostwritten for him by other people. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like, there's something about him now that almost seems otherworldly. Like mm -hmm. he's just like in the like pantheon of rap gods Absolutely. while he's alive, which is really unusual. Like, you know what I mean? Mm, it's yeah. kind of like, he almost has this mysterious presence in music where like, I don't know. He's just put so many things in place and then just step back. But like the structure and support and foundations are still there as a result of him. One of my favorite things uh, that Dre ever said is on the, you know, recently he dropped an album called Compton that was a mm -hmm. soundtrack to the NWA movie. Yeah. yeah and there's yeah. a line in it where he goes, I still got Eminem checks I ain't opened yet. And it's just like, God, that's such a great fucking yeah. brag. Like, yeah. it's not only, like, you're not even bragging about everything that you've done. It's like everything that the people beneath you have done because yeah, exactly. of it's just class. Like, such a great but like line. seeing what he saw in Eminem that was so good at that time and like putting his faith in him, like even mm. if that was his sole contribution, it would be like legendary. Yeah, yeah, but it's loads of other people. I and know. So many platinum albums and yeah. stuff like that. Like it's nuts. And his music choices for sampling and songs is like second to none. Yeah. Like just, yeah. I think that's something that gets really um, understated. Yeah. In rap. Uh, yeah, especially. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think people appreciate how much Dr. Dre and Kanye West actually know about music. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like what it takes to actually produce a beat. Even if you're just lifting the beat and sampling something else, you still have yeah. to be a good listener of music. Exactly. You still have to yeah, know. yeah. Yeah. Like you have to have that base level foundation. That's probably a natural talent of some sort. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, it's crazy to me just the way um, even sometimes like you listen to if you listen to the chronic and then you listen to 2001 they're two completely different sounds but they're both synonymous with the west coast and yeah. they're both sounds that were perfected by Dre 
like mm-hmm. that's so interesting to me it's like not only did he like pioneer a certain era of rap but like mm-hmm. he perfected it in both terms yeah 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 and then he was like all right i'm done <laughs> no more albums yeah i like, yeah, know yeah incredible yeah it's crazy what a guy yeah. Um, yeah so yeah dr dre everyone check him out if you haven't heard of him there's actually there's a i've gotten into the habit of watching live concerts during this lockdown because i feel like that's one of the things that i'm missing like the most in my life yeah um, and it's just really good on a Friday night to kick back with a few beers and put on, there's so many high quality concerts on YouTube, like just for free. And you can just put it in full screen and watch them and feel like you're there. Yeah. But, um, for any Radiohead fan, like Radiohead are dropping so many like full length concerts and it's unbelievable. Like there was one uh, release there that was like, I think it was Punchestown race course um, in Dublin. And uh, yeah, they just like dropped that out of nowhere. And we're like, yeah, like, home together or something like that was the theme and it's just to yeah help people self-isolate someone in kildare listening to that like swear punches town is in our county and not dublin isn't it oh yeah, yeah, it is. yeah, yeah. <laughs> typical dubs claiming, yeah. claiming I, I, that they own everything. I, I, i've been gone too long <laughs> yeah that's true yeah yeah um but yeah uh, it was really good but um i've been listening to so much radiohead lately and, never heard uh, of them yeah uh did they Sing that song, Mr. Ryder, and have a nice day. <laughs> Mr. Ryder, and I, it's funny you say that because I don't know, or maybe you're saying it on purpose for the reason that I think you might be. Um, the fact that their their names are somewhat. No, oh well, yeah, Radio Star. No, I thought it was because um, Thinking About You from Pablo Honey sounds a little bit like. Um, don't you dare say it. There's things I want to have. What's I'm just looking. That song. Yeah. Very similar. Very similar melody. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think that's what I was going for. No, I don't know. (laughs) Just a bit like thinking about you and then like things I want to, I don't know. I feel like there's some similarity there somewhere. Okay. Uh, I've never really heard it myself. It's actually really funny as well that you say that because when I was a kid, uh, like really young, my, I think uh, the, 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 one of Radiohead's albums was out. It may have been Amnesiac. And I was thinking about what to get my dad for a Christmas present. And my mom was like, oh, the new Radiohead album, you could just get him that or something. And I was like in the shops and I was like looking, think trying to remember Radiohead. And I think I came across Stereophonics. I was like, wait, is this the band? Because I'd obviously semantically remember the name as opposed to yeah. remember the words. So I was like thinking of what it sounded like or whatever. But yeah. That's interesting. Um, that would have been a horrible Christmas present for him. It would have, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the the band who held a concert during lockdown. That's, yeah. That's what they will always be to me now. Um, who did? Stereophonics. Did they win? Well, they fucking held like a huge concert in like the Millennium Stadium in Cardiff on like the 20th of March or something like that. Legends. Like, <laughs> I know. And everyone who went there and subsequently died, heroes. Yeah, 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 fallen heroes. Yeah, yeah. Just like World War Two. Imagine dying because you went to a Stereophonics concert. Like, it just yeah. can't wait. In fairness, in fairness, if I went to a Stereophonics concert, I'd probably kill myself. Fair too, yeah. Although, like, yeah. I, I feel like they have a couple of songs that I like. We probably mentioned them already. <laughs> yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, it's likely. Yeah, they're not the type of band I would ever listen to an album of. Like, oh, I must put on that Stereophonics What's album. that song that came out in, like, the summer of 2000? And Dakota. 
yeah the one that goes like i don't know where we're yeah from. yeah yeah in I fairness can't... if i wrote that song though i'd be very pleased with myself well yeah because your bank account would look a lot healthier than it does now <laughs> exactly i'd say it's a fun song to sing live too though and have the whole yeah. audience singing it back to you like i'd say you'd get something out of that yeah he's a nice voice like a nice sort of smoky voice mm, yeah. yeah it suits those songs well i hate their song a thousand trees have you ever heard that no it's bad um, i'd say i like mr writer though i think that's a good song yeah 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 it's almost like <laughs> ambiguous enough that you could sort of layer on your own depth mm -hmm. yeah exactly yeah i agree yeah and it's, um, it's like it's almost acceptable it's almost mtv2 but it's just yeah. too mtv that's yeah. a really good that's a really good line i should write for pitchfork with fucking one-liners like that yeah, yeah, yeah. If it were 2005 again, <laughs> that line would kill on the internet. <laughs> it still might, my son. It still it's, might. It still might. I don't think anybody listening to this knows what MTV2 is. Or a pitchfork. Yes, correct. In this day and age. Um, all right, should we give a shout out to the fan? Yeah. Okay. Do you want to or do you want me to do it? Yeah, no, I will. Um, so Marcus C. Storup, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. I just want to say, I hope you're doing well. And it's great to see that you appreciate and like our podcast. Yeah. yeah. Um, comments like that really actually brighten up both of our days. So I yeah, screenshotted really it and I sent it to John. And um, yeah, we had a good like, oh, isn't that lovely? And we had a, a big conversation about you, Marcus. So Yeah, and I hope you're keeping well. And sure, any uh, video or thing you comment on, we'll be sure to see it. So let us know how you're doing in life and how things are going. I bet you'll comment like you pronounced my name wrong. I'm never listening to this. I definitely yeah. did. And I'm already really sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, it is what it is. Um, it is. But yeah, what I was going to say before we went into talking about stereophonics, which is the last thing I expected. Well, sure, we started with Dr. Dre, so we're at least we're getting a little bit more white. But I was going to I was going to go back to Dre. So, oh, let's do it. Yeah. Um, what I was going to say was one of the... like an iceberg, brown, white, brown. Exactly. Yes. Always with <laughs> always with the word play with this fucking guy. And it's summer, um, the, 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 the time for icebergers. An iceberger is like an ice cream sandwich. For they have icebergers in the UK. Uh, no, since Brexit, they've had to cut down on them. Now it's just uh, a lump of ice cream between no, two just, salted crackers. Now it's just union flags. And that's it. That's all they have in any shop is blue passports and union flags. What more could you want, man? I, I, I only call it a union jack if it's on a boat because I read that somewhere. And I don't know yeah. if it's one of those things. Which is ironic because boats are female and we all know jack is a boy's name. That's very true. Yes. Something to think about. <laughs> yes, really makes you think. But um, so one of the things that I watched on ye old YouTube was the footage from the Up in Smoke tour um, from like, I want to say the year 2001. Um, but it's like Eminem, Dre, and a whole other bunch of people went on this huge tour across America. And there's loads of like... Uh, really pasty jock white kids in the crowd rapping along and it's really funny but mm -hmm. um they do forgot about dre in boston and it starts off with eminem going like boston and it's really annoying because i fucking hate the whole slim shady thing but anyways they um they do this song. you hate the slim shady thing just the the voice that he does as slim shady the okay, real yeah, kind of yeah. like you know what i mean like i yeah, much prefer yeah. eminem when he's the way i am eminem 
yeah, yeah, like yeah. all the words are enunciated and they're real like, oh, I'm so annoyed at yeah, everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Rather than, you know. Just like uh, cleaning up my closet. Is that like that sort of vibe? I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What I, a I like, song. I like those. I hate like uh, Will Smith don't got a cuss in his raps to sell records. Like I, that's really fucking annoying to me. Yeah, yeah. But um, I know what you mean. They do forgot about Dre and like obviously Dre does first verse and the last verse. I think I've probably spoken about this before, but um, every now and then Steve will text me and be like, what's that video you showed me with uh, Eminem and Dre? But um, so like Dre does the first verse and Dre is great, obviously. And then Eminem does the second verse, which is obviously really, really fast and all that. Yeah, and then yeah. he does the chorus too. And he's like red in the face. Yeah. Like at some parts he has to put the microphone out to the crowd and get them to do it. And then at other parts you can see like, his mouth is drying so much that he oh, just wow. can't go on. But then the third verse, Dre starts with his bit and he just keeps going and going and going and going. And like Eminem is supposed to be his hype man, which is like, if anyone doesn't listen to rap, it's the guy who relieves you at certain words. So like there'll be a word that's really strong and you'll back out of it to take a breath and the hype man will fill in the word so that it keeps the beat going and then you start the next line. But I don't think Dre uses him once. He just does every single word, like rattles it off so quickly. And it's He's got such a cool talking voice, even though Dre, like, I know, unreal. he has so much swagger in his voice. Yeah. Like, it's just, yeah. if you watch this video and just see him on stage, like how much cool he has compared to Eminem. Yeah. And like, he I think... It. Yeah, like 2001 Eminem is super cool as well, but Dre yeah. just has this complete, like, just dominant, like, he doesn't have to do anything. He's just... No, but exactly. Like, you, you could just see, like, a wax model of Dre, and you'd be like, that's a cool-ass motherfucker. <laughs> that's yeah. what I say about loads of people, <laughs> those terms. Uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, it, it's just a hell of a video, and I think everyone should watch it just to experience what it's like to see Dre in his prime, because I think most people think he's just a man who produced some albums. And... Yeah, and, and like he, he, he can even rap. Yeah, that's correct. <laughs> yeah. uh, he, he used to be known for it, in fact. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah, so um, I wanted to talk uh, about astrology for like five minutes. Nice. Um, I have done absolutely no research whatsoever on this, but I will say that I've tried. I have tried to find some kind of scientific basis for astrology because mm. I just believe that with the amount of people who believe in it, that there must mm. be fucking something to hold your convictions together. Um, mm. What is your assessment of the concept as a philosophy major and uh, mm. like, you know, psychology major? And just... I, yeah, I guess there'll never be an end to things in life that are benign and make people feel good. Mm. And I think astrology falls under that, right? Um, like benign escapism that's also kind of somewhat like euphoria inducing and people feeling a level of connection and belonging um, and almost kind of like, like, yeah, it alludes to a destiny of sorts as well. And, and everyone loves that. Mm. Um, but yeah, it also has a lot to do with how like astrology horoscopes are written and the ambiguity yet yeah, sort of like they're really well written when you think about it. Like how are you, so you divide it up into 12 and you're going to make like the entire population feel like they can relate despite all the idiosyncratic differences amongst people that they can relate to this like paragraph blurb about you at any given moment. Like that, that's a feat in and of itself. Very true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but in terms of the scientific basis, I don't know if there is one and I think we were talking about that before like I don't even know if you could uh or if say for instance yeah 
the actual horoscopes are still pertinent and relevant to what they deem to explain today in that like the way the sort of planetary shifts and all these things are happening like over time things are going to like leave the particular like taxonomy they've ascribed to them mm -hmm. um, and it's probably in need of revision but what's the point in revising something that isn't ever factual to begin with right you can just still roll with it and keep going yeah um, but yeah I, I do like reading them and then I love like I don't know if you know about that like people say oh it's bad luck to read one that isn't yours or whatever really yeah so like it's a really good marketing ploy i think like if, if they spread the right because it's like yeah don't read other ones because you'll see they all apply yeah to you. you can't cross-reference them yeah, yeah yeah exactly yeah so like that's what i've always been told is like oh don't read other ones it's bad luck and then like it pulls into like the concept of luck which is equally as esoteric and ambiguous mm -hmm. yeah um but i do think luck exists i yeah. yeah okay i guess i believe that luck exists but i don't believe that it exists in the way that a lot of people use it right like i, I hear yeah. stuff like um it, it's it's actually such a difficult concept to just to the the juice i guess like if i watch a penalty shootout and i see a team lose because the ball rolled over a, a blade of grass mm. that should have been cut like that's unlucky but like mm. it's not actually it's not unlucky yeah, yeah, at all yeah, yeah what happened because the yeah. grass was there. It's just the thing that happened. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. How, how would you go about quantifying the look involved in a thing like that? You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I always think look is something that you can never assess at the time, but looking back on things, you can be like, Oh, there was definitely an element of look involved there. Mm. But you're right though. Like I, I guess if you had a better way of quantifying all the different variables in a given system, you'd realize that there was actually no luck that everything would have led to that anyway. Um, like yeah. if you knew enough about the universe at any given time, right, you should be able to, to some degree of certainly predict the future. Because mm -hmm. um, that's like how scientific models work. It's like if you have a closed system um, and you do enough tests um, and kind of keep control of the variables, you'll be able to predict the future. Like that's essentially what science is. Mm -hmm. um, if we keep things the same, then the same thing will happen. And that's like, that, that's like a foretelling of sorts. Mm -hmm. Lewis yeah. Hamilton just drove past your house. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> um, um, I'm close to a, for anyone wondering, a, a main road. So that might happen. It's, it's called Donington. That's the main road. See, that's funny because that's a racetrack. It's ah, a, very good. It's a reference to a, a motorsport for any of the listeners. <laughs> I'm a huge motorsports enthusiast. Me. Yeah. Yeah. I, Speaking I, of which, McLaren is going under. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. They're looking for bailout and like they're absolutely sinking. God love them. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. I wonder if there's a way I can blame Brexit for this instead of the coronavirus so that it will suit my political agenda. Well, in fairness, like that 500 billion stimulus package, like how much of that would be going to the UK if Brexit hadn't happened? Yeah, I know. It's uh, I don't know. It's uh, I guess it's a topic that I have really failed to keep up with because I actually find it infuriating, especially yeah. because of how much time I choose to spend on Twitter, um, and what that inevitably does to the fucking disgraceful discourse that goes on in that fucking. It's house. a cesspool. It's a cesspool yeah. that has like streaks of gold littered among the shit. And yeah, I just can't get enough of it either. And like, oh, I get yeah. so involved in it and stuff. Like it's, oh, yeah. it's, um, it's a weird kind of addiction. Uh, Completely. Like, it, I don't know. I've heard people say stuff before, like make analogies between that and self-harming. And like, it sounds really weird when you say that because it's mm. not quite the same thing. But I think yeah. 
I don't think that they're the same conceptually. I don't think people self-harm for the same reasons that people mm. um, like willingly read things that make them frustrated. I think it's two completely different brain functions and stuff. But I think the end result is probably just as damaging. Yeah. Like, yeah, there's something to be said for the like magnetic attraction to a point of view you don't agree with, the force with which it compels you to respond in a way that's conducive to an argument that doesn't really promote the uh, conversation in any uh, productive way, mm-hmm. yet you'll keep going back and get angrier and, and angrier while you do it. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's fascinating, like, yeah, and, and Twitter just seems to be the pinnacle creation of a, a communication source that's just seems to reward it because like people only repeat be, um, behaviors that they find rewarding to some degree, right? Yeah. Like they're, they're positively reinforcing in some way. They're encouraging the behavior. And that's essentially what positive reinforcement is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a really strange thing. I, it's I really strange. It's, I view like the social media CEOs as being the same as like tobacco industry execs, which is yeah. their, their ability to just keep feeding people this thing that is harmful. Yeah, but if you think about it, Never before in the history of human interaction have regular, and I use that word in inverted commas because everyone's regular, but like people been able to engage in discourse with so-called celebrities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like never before, like if I wanted to send a message to so-and-so, such and such celebrity, like I can do that now. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's just never been possible before. And the mm-hmm. way we idealize heroes, the way we look up to people, and now we suddenly have a, a way of like communicating literally directly with them. Mm-hmm. That's that's kind of weird. And yeah. the, the the way that like historically heroes have actually um, existed and persisted in kind of myths and legends, and yeah, like they've been communicated amongst peoples and all these sorts of things. And now suddenly we have a way of communicating with these very heroes. Fair enough, they're different in, in some ways, but to some people, like they are their heroes. Like they might be your favorite footballers, they might be your favorite musicians, and your favorite even, like, podcasters. Actually, yeah, well, like Marcus, we're talking to you. <laughs> um, but yeah. Yeah, I know it is super interesting. Yeah, you've got you've you've also got a pipeline to people's worst takes though, and I think that's a huge problem because What do you mean? Um so like you might be indifferent to uh I don't know, Elon Musk, let's say, mm. but then you see him continue to make stupid comments about things where mm. he would be best served to just fucking stop it. Mm. And then your opinion of him goes way southwards and as a result of that, you start to view him negatively and then you think that everything he does must be negative. I think that that's mm. like a, I think that's a really bad side effect of having instant access to celebrities' thoughts is that yeah. it's so easy to create a, uh, a model of them that just disagrees with everything that you're saying. Um, and it's so easy to tweet something stupid. Mm. Like I wouldn't so know because I've never done it, but like I have seen yeah. people do it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, but yeah, like it's so easy, like in the heat of the moment, because usually if you were ever going to say something that public, there'd probably be like weeks and weeks of preparation. Someone would proofread it. You'd yeah. have thought about it. So you'd have slept on it. Like, and it would be something that really means a lot to you. But now it can literally be, oh, this happened two seconds ago. I've read it. I have an emotional response to it. And now the world's going to know what that emotional response is. Yeah. And someone can screenshot it and it'll never be lost. I, I can't help myself sometimes. No, I know, me neither. Like, yeah. it's, it's crazy. Um, yeah, geez, that, yeah. Urge is, uh, that urge is crazy. I've heard before um, experts on networks and the study of networks 
Mm-hmm. Um, I heard somebody say, and I, I've never like looked into this any deeper, and I wish I did um, because I can't remember the name of the guy who did it, but I, I can find out. Um, but he said something like, in all simulations of networks, going back to the 70s, and what happens when you divide people up into networks um, is that they become echo chambers, they become tribal, mm-hmm. they just become distance, and the discourse, the, the discourse just gets poisoned, and their perceptions of each other get poisoned. And I can think about like instances in my life where, um, like for example, I used to work for a company that had a London office that was investigating a um, a takeover attempt of a, a um, in in a, a business that my team were processing the shareholders sales but then the english team were processing anyone who dissented to the takeover so there were two teams doing very similar work using Mm. um the exact same platforms working for the exact same company and we just did not fucking get along with each other and didn't even want to get along with each other Mm. and everything they did i was like these guys are fucking stupid they haven't a fucking clue what they're doing and like setting up conference calls every week just so I could fucking tell them how badly they were doing everything. (laughs) And like, I'm sure that like they were doing the very best that they could. And that if I were them, I would be doing the exact same thing that they were doing. But it's just that, yeah, it's it's just when you have like the isolation or you don't have the experience that they have living the same life, you're not able to see, you know, it's just whatever you should walk a mile in their shoes. So we're talking about networks and the ability for groups to delve deep into their darkest uh recesses when mm. yeah i guess that kind of goes to the like in group out group thing yeah i suppose everything really does doesn't it it's like uh i don't know yeah. it, everything comes back to that for me and it has done ever since i questioned the logic of being a football fan like yeah what am i doing here like i'm typing a thing to a rangers fan on the internet that i will never meet in real life yeah. just to tell him that my team are better than his because of yeah. an arbitrary quantification i have just decided completely yeah and i'm sure we've talked about this before but that how if you're a huge sports fan that when a team wins or loses you feel the same physical emotions as them mm-hmm. you feel physically sick sore pained and everything after your team loses and when your team wins you feel like euphoric elation i was watching an episode of jeremy kyle once because yes i used <laughs> to be unemployed um but there was we're watching uh, it live. You were actually <laughs> in the crowd. <laughs> I was on it. Yeah, yeah, DNA test. But um, it was this Scottish couple, and uh, it was this woman was like, "My son, I, I was, I was in labour, and and he was nowhere to be seen." And Jeremy Kyle is like, "And and where were you when she was in labour? Where were you?" And the guy is like, "The guy's like." It was the Champions League, the last <laughs> 16, Celtic versus Barcelona. That was oh, a terrible really. Scottish accent. I can do it so much better. Than no, that. at the start it was really good, but then at the end it just, yeah. The earplug, I can hear my own voice and it's really putting me off. <laughs> okay. It was Celtic in the Champions League. That's better. Yeah. yeah. The hair suits the Scottish accent on you. Thank you. Yes. It's yeah. Strong you're Celtic a, lineage. You're a true Highlander. Aye. Fucking right, mate. Excalibur. I've lost so many Scottish listeners. <laughs> to the no, Scottish please. listeners, I, uh, my Celtic career mode will start tomorrow. <laughs> it's a very long running inside joke that I have with them. It will oh, never yeah? start. Yeah, I'll never do one. Are you definitely? But like, what about all the ones you showed me? They, that just didn't go so well, so you never publicized them. <laughs> That's such a fun... Dude, it used to be such a thing on YouTube that like, you had to be authentic. 
in everything that you did. And if you had one title that suggested that I should click on this video over other videos, you're a money whore and you're just in it for the money. And like, mm. it's so silly because if you look at the entire FIFA market as it exists on YouTube now, it is just clickbait everywhere by design yeah. and no one cares about it. But back when I was like a relatively big YouTuber in the scene, you had seriously better not fucking sell out. I remember I changed my content once to slightly more clickbaity stuff and I lost yeah. tons of viewers forever. Like wow. people who would comment on all my videos, every podcast episode, gone. <laughs> I can even name a few of them. Like it's That's interesting. Crazy. Yeah. yeah. A clickbait is a really interesting word actually. I wonder who used it first. I'd say like the internet does hold the record or the, the, like, the historical record of it. Yeah, almost certainly, yeah. There's loads of, you know, the concept of parallel thinking. In what regards? Um, so like, you, you know, have you ever heard the, the history of Dennis the Menace? Um, history of it, no. So like, you know, Dennis the Menace, which Dennis the Menace do you think is Dennis the Menace? Like I think of the guy in the red and black. But the, you know of the other Dennis the Menace. The blonde one. Yeah. Like the, Nasher, Dennis the Menace and Nasher, the Beano. The first episodes of each Dennis the Menace thing one in the UK, one in America, were both published on the exact same day. So I, the blonde one's the American one? Yeah, I believe so, yeah. Yeah, uh, maybe. Yeah, I think so, yeah, yeah. Because that would explain then why the Beano and that were like on sale over here, and yet like the American, or the movie Dennis the Menace in the 90s had the blonde kind of kid. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And then, okay, so, so parallel thinking so pertains like, to that. It would be very hard to find out what the original source of clickbait is because the word bait gets associated with lots of things that, are, that there is an abundance over that people are trying to push on other people, you know what I mean? Um, or even like, but like for no, but like the word, like the, the click dash bait, I bet was used in one particular instance first to describe how certain yeah. media sources were looking to get clicks by putting something on. Yeah, 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 almost certainly. Okay, yeah, I think I made a bad point there to express what I was saying. Um, I'm just saying I don't think that, like, I'd say it's unlikely that one person came up with it and everyone copied it from that one person. Oh, sure, I would say sure, it most yeah, likely yeah. evolved out of a, a series of different... Like, yeah, circles. exactly. Because, like, uh, it's a very kind of what-you-see-is-what-you-get term, mm. like a, a clickbait. It's, like, bait for clicks. So, yeah, like, yeah. I don't think that that's that simple is going to probably be discovered by different people. And yes, would you be surprised to learn that there are hour long hours long discussions about what clickbait even is? Interesting. But if you think about it, it makes sense because if you are accused of being a clickbait merchant, it's a bad thing. So if you can justify yeah. what you have done as not being clickbait, then all of a sudden it's good. You can say something like, it's not clickbait. It's a video designed to get people to click on it. You know what I mean? But like, but I'm not trying to exploit it or get people to click on it for uh, reasons that are not sufficient yeah, to what yeah. it is. But it's interesting though. I, I, okay. So this is what I would add to that definition of clickbait. Clickbait is something that undersells the actual content to focus on a narrow uh, amount of that which it aims to garner more attention than it deserves mm -hmm. yeah you know yeah. what i mean mm -hmm. so it's like kind of i'm going to focus on this tiny little thing that's very very sensationalist to get more people to look at it and it probably doesn't deserve that level of treatment and scrutiny so like because of this sentence i am about to say kim kardashian has found her way into this podcast therefore should be in every podcast on the thumbnail i can just put kim kardashian in yeah, a bikini. Yeah, yeah. yeah now i can exactly. do that. 
that would be clickbait because nothing that we've said is relevant to her or about her. Yeah, or... yeah. Like you could say we covered so many topics on this podcast. It, we even got to Kim Kardashian. Mm, yeah. Like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that would that would totally uh, suffice the explanation mm. yeah. or satisfy the uh, yeah. It's um. It is one of the things that I think has led to the downfall of so many mm. important things. It's the concept yeah. of clickbait. Yeah, definitely. Um, when you watch a, a, a newspaper like The Independent that I never like overly leaned on for news, but I always valued their opinion columns and stuff. When you see yeah. them just devolve into this rag everything. of clickbait. Like, everything. Everything, yes. But I think The Independent to a really horrible degree. Oh, really? Well, I, so I think like The New York Times and CNN and all of those places, I think they still maintain a certain layer of integrity that you like, I know you might disagree with that and, and like a lot of people listening might, but there are still some amazing op-eds that come out of the New York Times, like irrespective no, of, of what you think of the yeah, yeah, yeah. stuff. But the Independent has no good content now. The whole thing is just like interesting. The same clickbait headline, three paragraphs, ads plastered all over the fucking page, auto-playing videos with with uh, ads that automatically play, thing that comes up tries to get you to sign. Like it's just yeah. garbage now. It, it's it's nothingness now. It's just basically please click on us so that we have money. Like that's all that it is now. There's no value to it. In, in Speaking of nothingness, actually, you reminded me of a song that I thought of recently but never followed through with. Have you ever heard the song Some Kind of Nothingness by Manic Street Preachers with Ian McCulloch from Echo and the Bunnymen? Yeah. Um, it's such a beautiful song. What album is that on? That's on Postcards from a Young Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I have which heard is a, it, yeah. Which is an incredible album. It is. Yeah. Like so many bangers on it. But yeah, um, some kind of nothingness. I actually saw them play it live. It was class. All their albums are good. Yeah, but I know. But like, like any, like, like generally any band, some albums are better than others. And that's Absolutely. a particularly good one considering how recent it is. Yeah, and I, but I think the same thing about Journal for Plague Lovers and especially yeah. Futurology. I actually am like a huge fan of Futurology. Interesting. I, think, I don't think I've given them enough time. Oh man, I, there's. I, I guess it's kind of tailor made for me in the sense that it's weird and futuristic. Is is, is it Walk Me to the Bridge? Uh, I don't. Walk I genuinely. This is a huge cop out. I don't know the titles of it. Um, Interesting. But yeah, no. There's a song that I think it was the single. And I think it was about the Severn Bridge in London, where Richie Edwards was purportedly, mm. uh, like, where he, yeah, allegedly uh, committed suicide, yeah. uh, even though his body was never found. But um, I'm pretty sure that's the illusion. And actually, that song got me onto another band, Orange Juice, uh, because they say there's a line in it. And like they allude to, oh, this line we used to only sing in the disco or whatever. And it was because like when they were kids or whatever, growing up or going to discos, Orange Juice would be playing. Oh, okay. Who were an interesting band who never made it, but were very, very talented. Yeah, there's a lot of bands like that, man. I know, it's so sad. Yeah, it is, yeah. I wish I had like a really, really big platform where I could showcase albums that never got the respect that they deserved. Yeah, 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 exactly. Because there's something like anybody who has any concept of justice and with that a love of music, you just feel so sad for them. Mm, yeah, like yeah. They've contributed this amazing artistic achievement. And like, I, it's, it's just not commensurate to how they're doing. And I know fin financial isn't a good uh, end kind of analysis of mm -hmm. artistic endeavor, but you still kind of, you still yeah. can't. Shout out them. to Bon Jovi, the best band ever, as proven by their sales. 
it, is that true or is that just a quip? Is he actually? It's a quip because you always use it. If ever I uh, make yeah, an appeal yeah. to popularity, that's always your fucking response. And, and it's it so always... funny. Yeah, because I remember when I actually first sent that, I think I can't remember which band you were talking about. But then in retaliation, I just sent, yeah. Uh, I know which picture. band I was talking about. And you do too, if you think about it for five seconds. Was it big, does it begin with a no? It does indeed. <laughs> no, yeah. Yeah, I have a fair idea. But um, but yeah, no, because it, it, it's literally like just a, a picture to shut down that line of reasoning. <laughs> I know, yeah. That's yeah. what it was, wasn't it? You went and got their record sales and screenshotted it and sent it back to me. Yeah, and, yeah like... and even though we hadn't been talking about Bon Jovi at all. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. This but, is all you need to show in yeah. order to, like, yeah. Here's your appeal to authority, or your, yeah, sorry, yeah. appeal to popularity. Like, I, I actually remember that, sending that message exactly. I know exactly where I was, and that was, like, probably two years ago. Mm, yeah. yeah, I know where no, I was. It actually had to be at least two years ago, because I wasn't living there, yeah, at this time two years ago. It was, it actually was around this time two years ago, because I had just started working in my previous job. Um, and but I it couldn't have been this late, though, because I'd moved. Oh, okay. Maybe it was like March or mo no, I'd, I'd say at most maybe March. I probably still have it on my WhatsApp. I could check. Maybe I was coming back from an interview at my current or my previous job. That would make yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah, But uh, yeah. 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 You're a bollocks. <laughs> I sure am. I hate you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, how do we get onto that? Uh, nothingness. Uh, that was the word that turned us onto bands and then bands that haven't really made it. And then why were you talking about nothingness? Um, I was describing the independence content. Yeah. And then you yeah. said possibly the best sentence that anyone has ever said on a podcast. You said, speaking of nothingness, and for me, if I were listening to a podcast and someone said that, I would be so excited for whatever was about to come next. <laughs> like seriously, yeah, the yeah. concept of nothingness itself is just so um, interesting. Mm -hmm. And know. that's why I even love, so just go back to the Manic Street Preacher song, they call it some kind of nothingness. Exactly. I, I would be of the opinion that nothingness is impossible to conceive an idea of, mm -hmm. because as soon as you conceive it, you objectify it. And how can you objectify something that isn't an object? And how can nothingness mm. be an object? And what you color know, is it? Exactly. Like that kind of, that line of reasoning. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's sort of like um, Immanuel Kant. So he kind of wrote this like crazy book that's impossible to read called The Critique of Pure Reason. And he basically justified the existence of space and time because essentially it was necessary for him to be able to even think these things were necessary to exist for him to be even able to think about them and question their existence. Like you can't question the existence of space and time without space and time existing. I guess that's a better way of putting it. Mm, interesting. Yeah. So yeah, that was its justification, but like the book is yeah, extraordinarily complicated. Um, but that was the one thing I took from it. Well, that's good. Yeah. 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 Did you ever read Finnegan's Wake? By... No, but I really, really want to read it. Um, um, it's yeah. impossible, man. Uh, yeah. But see, the problem is, is that isn't there like kind of, a controversy over James Joyce's work in that he was basically blind and he had someone write it for him. Like he'd read, he, he'd like speak out how he wants it written and he needed someone to write it for him. And then like, they'd be like reading it back to him. Like, oh, what have you written there? And they'd read it back. And, and there's a lot of concern that like there was something lost in translation because a lot of it's stream of consciousness, a lot of it's very difficult to, wow. to make out. I never actually heard that before. Yeah, he was basically blind. I didn't know that. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. He also had a predilection for prostitutes and he went to Belvedere College. Wow, so he's the exact same as you. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> you're bollocks. <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah, so uh, yeah, what an incredible man though. Like, uh, mm, yeah, sick when you think about it. Speaking of incredible men, shout out to Ian Curtis who uh, had his the anniversary of his death on the 18th. Today's the 19th, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So yesterday was the anniversary of, in my mind, the greatest lyricist since Bob Dylan. Yeah. Um, and I don't think anyone's touched him since. Yeah. I can think of a couple of people who write. That's okay. Pretty you're allowed. Lyrics. <laughs> but you're wrong. <laughs> um, I know. Yeah. I think. I, I think it's. Um, Did I they also die at 23 though? Oh man, like I can't even think, I think Tupac dying at 25 is, is pretty close. Um, okay. I know, I know that if you're a huge Joy Division fan, the likelihood that you're a Tupac fan is pretty slim. But um, if you consider his influence on the music, if you consider the number of albums that he had mm. by the time that he was only 25 and he was killed, and then the amount of music they were able to make from stuff that he had recorded, like yeah, that's his, his influence is undeniable. And I think like he had so many, um, positive messages and monumental moments in hip hop that laid the mm. foundation for those who came after him. So I, I think it's kind of analogous just because yeah, of yeah. The, the younger age and the influence combined. But in fairness though, was Tupac rich before he died? Yes. See, this is the thing, like Ian Curtis barely had like two pounds mm -hmm. to rub together and he was still producing some of the best lyrics and music. Like, yeah. like it's just incredible. Like I look back to when I was 23 and it's just like, Oh my God, like I just feel so young. Um, mm. Yeah, like just unbelievable. Yeah, like uh, I, I just think he's such like a working, yeah, working class hero. I don't know, uh, like he just had it so tough. Like, that's something to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know, like there's just, oh, my, my heart, like just, ah, uh, I just, yeah, just amazing. I love him. Do you have a Joy Division album written down to? talk about yes i do actually uh, that's funny that you remembered this would uh, be the moment <laughs> yeah yeah no it's actually their their debut album like unknown pleasures mm. um so yeah a few things about it like i think it's actually one of the greatest debut albums of all time i think martin hannett's production on it is second to none i don't think i've ever listened to an album that can create darkness and silence the way they did mm -hmm. like i can't believe like you listen to it and you're like okay there's like there's striking light and there's like, yeah, but, but like in, in between that, it's like the blackest darkness. And I love how the sort of, uh, the album artwork sort of predicts that and foretells that like the geophysical that, um, Bernard Sumner, the guitarist found in like some old book in a library. and was like, I want that on the cover of the album, which is really cool. And then, yeah, but I don't know. I, I just think in this, at, at this time with the current state of world affairs, Unknown Pleasures is a great album to listen to. Mm. And apparently when it was released, the album was actually split into two. And I can't remember for sure if it was like inside and outside or within and without, but essentially like they grouped the songs into two main groups um, pertaining to like Ian Curtis from a personal level and then like the world at, a, at an objective level. And I just think that's amazing. Um, and even to this day, like I probably listened to the album like hundreds of times and I'm still getting stuff out of it and, and things are still hitting me in a weird way. Um, and I'm still thinking about things differently as I listen to them. 
And also in relation to this album, I, I could talk about this album forever, but I remember um, my dad trying to get me into it. And I actually counted the amount of times I had to listen to it before I enjoyed it. And it's the only album I've ever done that for, but I would say it's probably one of the hardest albums to get into. I was going to ask you about that, just how, because I think yeah. a lot of people who listen to this will probably listen to that album. Yeah. And I think a lot of them are going to be a little bit, um, they will probably feel um, disenfranchised from it as a work yeah. because it is particularly inaccessible. It's really inaccessible. Like I, I actually and honestly listened to it eight times. And I remember counting them each time. I just kept doing it over and over before I even liked it. Mm. And, and sometimes you think you're into it and you're like, oh, I'm, and then you're like, no, I'm not. Like there's still so much going on here. And then you think you're into it again and then suddenly you get into it and it's, it's just this world. And I think a lot of the success um, of that album is down to Martin Hannett's uh, production and I think I remember Tony Wilson the guy who basically ran Factory Records which was uh, Joy Division's record label saying that like he was the only bona fide genius Martin Hannett was the only bona fide genius that Tony Wilson had ever met and wow. um, so Tony Wilson was basically a big shot in the BBC and he kind of I think he ran uh, some music uh, like shows like under his name and he'd like showcase bands and like give them like a platform and then like the legend goes that like Ian Curtis went up to him in a pub and was like, yeah, you're a cock or whatever. You're a dick because yeah, it's like, yeah, if you've seen the movie control or whatever, you essentially know how it went or how it's supposed to have gone. Um, but yeah, like, uh, and just so much from that album. Like, I think like for those days where you're by yourself and maybe the lights, right. And maybe you're just sitting by yourself alone in bed, just stick on unknown pleasures and just let it take you somewhere. Like each song just brings you on a different journey. It's just mm. incredible. Yeah, yeah, it's a hell of an album. I do find though that it's a wintry album. I can't listen yeah, to it yeah. in the summer. It's yeah, it's it's cold, it's dark, mm. it's uh, very isolated yeah. and isolating. Um, but like you can just yeah, like like New Dawn Fades would probably be one of my favorite tracks off it. Or She's Lost Control. Like every time I listen to it, I just think it's like one of the best riffs of all time. Yeah, like Peter Peter Hook was incredible on bass, still is like. Um, and then the guitar. Uh, yeah, and this is really weird as well. Like, obviously, like, there's tons of bands I like, but for some reason, Joy Division are the only band I've ever listened to where I actually don't count them as a band. Their music seems organic, and it almost seems like it wrote itself, which sounds really weird, and obviously it didn't, and obviously it was a culmination of, like, four people's combined efforts. But for some reason, their music just sounds like it's always existed. I, I don't know how else to describe it. It's so bizarre. Did you ever see, um, I want to say, Stargate? Uh, I'm not sure. It's one of those spacey shows. Okay. Um, but there is a concept in it that some songs have just always existed in mm. human consciousness. Um, and they go through like multiple different fucking uh, time mm -hmm. zones or whatever, like different times. Yeah, um, yeah. And the song uh, all along the watchtower just continuously resurfaces in different forms Class, along the way. Yeah. Um, and it, that's one of the things that they kind of surmised in their fictional universe. Do you know what's, yeah, do you know what I absolutely love about that song? And it's not the lyrics, not the guitar, but the bloody harmonica. Mm. Just the way that goes, it's just so good. Yeah, yeah. It's really funny because that album, John Wesley Harding, came out after Blonde on Blonde. And if people don't know, Bob Dylan had a huge motorcycle. Well, he, he reports as a huge motorcycle crash where he nearly died after Blonde on Blonde. And a lot of people, and you might argue Martin Scorsese being one of them, because the culmination of No Direction Home, his Bob Dylan biopic, ended with Blonde on Blonde. A lot of people say that like 
Bob Dylan's incredible career ended then. So when Bob Dylan turned electric, it was like three basic albums, Bring Me All Back Home, Highway 61 Revisited, and Blonde on Blonde. And the quality of songs on those three albums is better than he's ever done before, had ever done before, and has ever done since. But then after the motorcycle crash, the quality like just drops dramatically. Like it's incredible. Like I, apart from Blood on the Tracks, which I think is a bit of an outlier because that is a really, really good one. Although it's probably like equivalent to say, like a good Fleetwood Mac album or a good Neil Young album, which I don't think, like even Neil Young's best, I don't think hits the heights that Dylan's did. Uh, it still doesn't hit like old Dylan. And by old Dylan, it wasn't even that old because like the difference in time between John Wesley Harding and Blonde and Blonde wasn't that long. Mm. But just the, the, the quality is incredible. Um, and then obviously All Along the Watchtower was on John Wesley Harding, which sort of goes against what I say, but it's really an outlier on the album. Like, there's no other song on that album that's nearly as good as All Along the Watchtower and certainly no song that could hold a candle to anything from the previous three albums, starting with Bring It All Back Home. It's crazy how you get artists that just hit a peak and like sometimes mm. they can keep it going and going and going. Mm. And then other times they'll just have like one or two great albums in a row and then they just turn to complete shit. Or, mm-hmm. You know, like there's a really commonly held belief that pretty much no band has ever made five good albums or whatever it is. Mm. Yeah, um, mm. some, something along those lines. Yeah. Um, I always find like the run that Springsteen went on from Born to Run. Like, I, I think that's an incredible run of albums as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I, yeah, like I, I probably sound like a broken record when I say this, but I think Radiohead, since the bands have produced absolutely incredible stuff, and I do think they are the greatest band to have ever walked the earth. My favorite Radiohead album is Kid A. Yeah, I, I definitely think there's a good argument for that. I, but like, I, I could, I, I think I could make an argument for every album apart from the King of Lim, Lings, King of Limbs, Hail to the Thief, and Pablo Honey has been their greatest. Yeah, yeah, I think they're their three weakest but i actually really like the king of limbs i just think it's a bit too short um and it's a bit of a weird album but i absolutely love it uh hail to the thief i think has too many tracks but they've said that themselves so i'm not saying anything new and then pablo honey like i remember talking to one guy in my secondary school and he thought pablo honey was their greatest album and i was like dude like when the bends came out it became like straight away their second best album pablo honey is like um but it's good though. Like it is a good album. Yeah, it's fine. I just hate like every fucking song on it. <laughs> so, That's weird though. But uh, but like no, like uh, I, I don't. I don't hate every song on it. There there's uh, there's one song on it that sounds a lot like a Pixies song that I can remember liking. I can't remember the fucking name of it though. It's it's it sounds like a fucking post punk track or something like that. Um, you. It might be you. Hold on. Let me have a quick Google of the Pablo. Yeah, I think, it, I, think, I think it is you. Pablo Honey is a mess of an album in terms of its sound. Like, it, it's it, um, thematically, it's like a mess of an album. Do you, know do what you I mean? think? Yeah. yeah. How do you? I love How Do You. Yeah. But like, uh, anyone can play guitar is brilliant. Yeah, that's good too. Yeah. Um, I absolutely fucking despise the song Creep. Like, I physically, it makes me fucking gag when I hear it. I think it's so bad. Um, like, I, I think it's a great song, if you know what I mean. Like, if yeah, I wrote yeah. it, I'd be super happy. I think the same yeah. thing about Wonderwall, for what it's worth. I think Wonderwall is a great song. I don't give a shit about how overplayed it is. It's a great song. But um, I think, to me, I get the same feeling from Creep that people get from Wonderwall, where they're like, oh, not this song. That's what I'm like with Creep. Well, like, in fairness, though, I guess you could say the lyrics of Creep at least make sense. <laughs> oh, he struck a nerve. <laughs> Don't make me do this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm we, joking. We've been friends for too long. I just... Ah, sure. What would a little bit of 
schoolyard hijinks be if not said one timely? Um, no, because I would murder you. <laughs> I know, like, yeah. But that's interesting <laughs> you think that about Pablo Honey, because uh, like, I never thought it was a great album, but I definitely okay. don't think it's a bad one. Let me rephrase what I said, because I think I was probably being too cavalier in, what, in, uh, in expressing my opinion of it there. I think that every Radiohead album is a journey unto itself, and mm. each one that you choose to decide to listen to says something about your mood at the time. Mm. Pablo Honey is very vague and I feel like it's kind of just an album that you can listen to do you know what I mean mm. Like, mm. It, like if I listen to Kid A it's because I'm particularly sad if I listen to OK Computer it's because I'm like sad but like kind of curious to see how my sadness can go today kind of sad yeah 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 if, if I listen to the Benz it's because I'm sad but it's like this is an interesting kind of sadness that's going to go to other places like when I listen to Street Spirit it's going to like my my sadness is gonna go like yeah open up into a whole new avenue of whatever um yeah. the sad thing is a joke there about how they're all sad um, yeah, yeah. but pablo honey to me just sounds like a like a garage record or like just it sounds like yeah. a, a low production collection of demos none of which were recorded at the same time in the same place yeah sort of like i don't know it, it sounds more like a a, a try a tryout kind of a thing. Yeah, yeah yeah no it, yeah it sounds like a collection of demos i get what you mean apparently though just to kind of give them some kudos even though i completely agree it sounds like a bunch of demos it was like recorded in like two days or something ridiculous yeah 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 like there's such good musicians i was actually watching a video of Johnny Greenwood's best live solos as a guitar player. But like, even if you just forget about his ability, his like innovative style and his like understanding, or not even his understanding of melody, but his ability to create novel melodies in solos is ridiculous. Yeah. Like his understanding of music is just, oh, it's just crazy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, I think if, yeah, if I was listening to Kid A, I think I'd probably be angry. I think amnesiac is way sadder and i can't break the two down as to which i prefer more but i do pair them together in my head mm. um in rainbows i just think is like one of the most gorgeous beautiful albums ever a moonshaped pool i'm still kind of getting into and i've listened to it like a hundred times but i still find it like hard to get into i don't know why everybody knows what i think about that album yeah all the tracks are in alphabetical order and <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. But, uh... um yeah. yeah, they're a good band. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In summary, we think Radiohead pretty good, I would say. Yeah. Um, Big time. Yeah, I don't, I don't have any Radiohead written down. Um, there is one album I think I can sneak into this discussion quite nicely, though, um, and that is Diamond Eyes by Deftones. Mm. Um, it is a. Here's what I've written down about it. No, I'll just fucking talk. So. Mm. It's a metal album. They're a metal band. Um, there are some tracks on it that have really, really slick metal riffs, like that real kind of dry, like <laughs> kind of like you know you're listening to metal music. But yeah. then it's it's got some like incredibly beautiful tracks on it that have this kind of really warm and bright texture and this real um, ethereal glow from them, um, like the yeah. next tape um, that I know I've linked to you a whole bunch of times. Yeah. Um, if if anyone is listening and curious about like the kind of overall theme of the album, I would say just check out the song Sex Type and if you like it, then listen to the whole rest of it. Um, mm. But it's just this album that exists in like a, 
a strange part of Deftones world in that like they were originally a band who got classified as new metal and they just had really slick riffs um like they made the crowd jump up and down like really hard drums um but the the singer's voice Chino's voice is very otherworldly and um I think every album they made was kind of like let's see how well, let's see what the hardest song we can make on this album is mm. and diamond eyes is like a band who were 15 years into their tenure as a band um and they came out with this just incredibly gorgeous album that would be worthy of being part of like so many huge bands collections like if you mm. found out that diamond eyes was an album by the cure it would be quite a a fair addition to their catalog like it's oh, yeah. it's that good of an album in my opinion yeah. um and i think if you're like the lockdown <laughs> there's this conceptual lockdown of you like stuck in your house the whole time um i think if you just have 45 minutes to spare and put this album on close your eyes lie in your bed and just listen to it i think it's one that you can get lost in and it's one that can just take you somewhere else and, and kind of open up some other doors in the you know, monotony yeah. of overthinking and same routines and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you were talking about ethereal glow, I actually think there's some form of ethereal aura in loads of their songs. Uh, yeah, I, I think, I feel like they are a band that has come from another realm. Yeah, like, yeah. I don't think they're from Earth or something. Yeah. Like, like I, I can't explain it. it, it it's the production me. on the music. It's just incredible. Like, you almost mm -hmm. just feel like you're in a weird place that isn't where you thought you were. What's so funny is I know the guy who produced it and I know the other albums that he's produced and I think it will shock you. Interesting. Um, it was produced by most of their, all of their albums, in fact, I think, uh, from White Pony onwards, with the exception of Gore, were produced by Terry Date, who is the man who produced all of Limp Bizkit's albums. Wow, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. He, he's but very good at yeah. like, bringing that, bringing whatever sound the band are best at he's very yeah. good out of them so yeah yeah because that's interesting actually um the producer of radiohead also produced uh travis really yeah wow isn't that crazy yeah 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 although i think travis are okay like yeah, i don't like they have a few really good songs like they do yeah yeah they're not a terrible band but you wouldn't associate them with that kind of music I no think. exactly so it just goes to show like it's clearly the band's energy that the producer channels <clears throat> yeah yeah and like Martin Hannett as well, like apparently, like, I don't know if you ever saw 24 hour party people. No, I haven't. It was like, it was incredible. I think it was like a BBC documentary about the late seventies, early eighties, like Manchester scene, punk scene, post punk scene. Um, yeah. So Tony Wilson was actually played by, oh, what's his name? Steve Coogan. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Yeah. It was incredible. And uh, yeah, I, I like the first scene, I believe, or one of the first scenes is Martin Hannett, the producer of Joy Division on a cliff, just with a microphone. And then Tony Wilson, Steve Coogan sees him, is like, what the hell are you doing? And he's like, I'm recording silence. He's like, Fucking hell. so I can use it in my song. Like, you know, in the music say that I'm producing. And he's yeah, like, yeah. So shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking yeah. hell. But, but seriously, to anyone listening, see if you can find 24-hour party people because it actually goes right up until like Manchester's pill scene, like the Happy Mondays and everything. And they, like, I think even you two make an appearance because they basically, if people don't know, 
went back, I believe, to either Tony Wilson Factory Records or some people associated with that and tried to fill the void that the departure of Ian Curtis left. Wow. And yeah, they were huge Joy Division fans, uh, you too. That it, isn't it crazy how there are yeah, bands... 24-hour party people. Sorry, one. Yeah, we've told the we've told the listeners to check out so many things. It's I like know. I'm so in... by the way, to anyone listening, right? Um I check the Midnight Hour subreddit all the time, by which I mean I browse Reddit all the time, and that's one of the ones that I'm subscribed to. I, I didn't set this Reddit up, someone else did. Um, but over the last couple of months, I think there's been like three or four new posts or something, and I've replied to all of them. Um, so like, if you don't go to YouTube to check this out, if you're listening to this or whatever, um, it's reddit.com slash or slash midnight hour. And it's been like relatively inactive, I would say for about two years now. But like, if you ever have like a post to make or like an idea, or you want me to listen to an album even or something, um, go on there. Like I, I reply to everything on there. So do that. Um, right. Where was I going after it? I was going to say it's, or were you going to say something? No, no, no. It was you. It's so interesting how many artists were inspired by Joy Division and yeah. how few artists sound like Joy Division. Yeah. Um, like, I think the only, one of the only uh, bands that I can think of who you could make a like-for-like like comparison to Joy Division is probably Editors. Um, That's so funny. Yeah, I've heard that off so many different people. Mm. Do you and not? Like, I, I, I can't hear it. Like, uh, fair enough. Like, you know what I mean? Because everyone hears things in a particular way. And, but, like, I, I listen to the Editors and I'm just like, or editors, and I'm just like, I just can't hear it at all. Like Interpol, I've certainly heard, heard, heard of a likeness between those two, but again. I hate Interpol so much. I think I, they're overrated. I cannot think of a less interesting band than Interpol. Antics is a good album. So I've heard. I just, I don't know. Sometimes I get an idea in my head and then everything I yeah. do confirms it or everything I hear. I know, fair enough. I, I think Antics is great. Like I think 80% of the tracks are, are quite good. Mm. Yeah, I I could just never fucking get into them. I don't. But know. I do think like um, their other stuff is just really, really, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's, it's just too waffly or something. Yeah, it insists yeah. on itself or whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> whatever the line from Family Guy is. Yeah, um, and th- I really didn't like them live. I thought they were very, very poor when I saw them in Dublin, saw them in the Olympia, and like I didn't feel any buzz from the gig at all. I love that venue so much. Yeah, I know it's brilliant. I've seen, uh, like, yeah, when I saw The National there, it was one of the best gigs I've ever been to. Yeah. Um, yeah. I saw them in Vicar Street, so. Oh, unreal. You can go fuck yourself. Well, I saw them in the three arenas. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Say, yeah, Vicar Street was probably the best out of those, definitely. It was really, really good. As I really, really, really enjoyed it. Like, um, it felt to me like the perfect set of circumstances to see them. They are the only band I've ever seen who are better live. Yeah, they're class. Like they're actually better live than on the CD. And uh, I didn't think really that was possible because you've so much like options with the recordings, like change it, tweak it, improve it, re-record it. Like live, you've one go. I Yeah. I think that the Gaslight Anthem were better live every time I saw nice. them. Um, That's really good. Brian Fallon's voice really holds up and he's able to get through every single vocal with that he's got like a very powerful like set of uh vocal cords or whatever mm. but he does this really cool thing that i just love so much is that in some songs he'll sneak in other songs into the song like oh, cool a, a lot of bands do it like but, a medley uh, yeah yeah but it's it's not even like 
in the bridge of his song, if there's no, uh, no lyrics, he'll just start singing lyrics to another song, but he won't like adjust it necessarily. Mm. He'll just like add it on top as an extra layer. And it sounds really mm. good. Um, I remember I saw them once they played uh, the song Angry Johnny on the radio and there's like a, a breakdown of about it's like 30 seconds of like it starts to build and build and build before it gets into the last like big shouty punk rock everyone in the band is singing it chorus mm. um, but in the bridge he started singing uh, Jesus Christ by Brand New and it was so fucking good and now like every time I listen to the actual record I always sing that bit over the bridge just to nice. see if I can fit it in the same way that he Class. did like yeah really hard to do and can I just give a shout out to that song as being one of the greatest songs I've ever listened to basically but you can't listen to it unfortunately Why? brand new or cancelled no but like it's on Spotify dude I know I'm just kidding well like no okay what I was saying there was that I personally am not able to listen to it anymore because I can't separate the song from his alleged wrongdoings Mm. And uh, it's a big problem that I have with Brand New because I fucking love their music so yeah. much. Um, especially their last album, Science Fiction, from 2017, which would have been my album of the year, but I can't fucking listen to it anymore. And it's it, like... Interesting. And when did those allegations surface? Uh, the tail end of 2017. Um, Interesting. I was supposed to see them at the Olympia in Dublin. And it was, that was their next gig. And they flew home from, I think they were going from the UK to Ireland uh, for their tour when the allegations surfaced. And then they just went home and that was the end of their tour. And wow. they haven't done anything ever since and probably never will ever again. So That's a pretty damning response though, in fairness. It's even worse. Like um, the allegations came out and then more allegations came out. Um, and there's a lot of evidence to say that this was not a coordinated thing. It was just... And was it virtual or was it in person? The allegations? Like, yeah, did, did the allegations uh, talk about something happening like online or was it something in person? Both and both. lots and lots of both. Um, yeah. yeah. There, so as far as I'm aware, there is evidence of him online with an underage girl doing stuff. Yeah. Um, and there are tons of anecdotes and stories and like you yeah. can believe what you want to believe or not it, like yeah it's fine i have heard enough credible enough people that i deem to be credible talk about it but then for me the most damning thing is that the allegation service and jesse lacy the lead singer of brand new made um a statement and in his statement he didn't confess to what he was to what was alleged but he did say that he was unfaithful to his wife and that he used to be a horrible person and that he spent years being a horrible person and now that he's trying to be a better person. And I think that that's pretty damning. Um, I could make an argument that maybe he just hates himself so much and that his confidence is so low that even though he's innocent, he still felt the need to apologize. But mm. I just don't see it in this case because the evidence is pretty strong. And yeah. all of the people arguing against it they can only delve into character assassination for the people who came forward. Like there's yeah. no other way of denying the evidence. You know what I mean? And yeah. I it's hard to say, like yeah. I, I do philosophically feel like you're innocent until proven guilty, but yeah. just in this case, like what I've seen, I just feel like I can't really, mm. uh, no way for me to forgive. Well, I think it's an incredible song and I would recommend it to anybody who hasn't listened to it. I wouldn't recommend it to anyone who has a weak stomach, though. No, I'm just kidding. I felt the need to add that. Don't eat it. Yeah, do not eat that song. Do not, not eat it. it. Good. Um, all right. So, yeah. yeah. 
What were you going to say? I no, I was going to be like, it's, and it's also like one of the most simple songs and still I think one of my favorite songs. Yeah. I think lyrically it's, it's one of the best songs to have ever existed. It's, yeah, me too. Uh, there's, uh, there's just some incredible lines in there. Like, I, I always wished I could write like him. And like, the atmosphere of it though. Yeah. Like, like you almost like fall in love with the lyrics like while he's singing it and you just relate to it and you empathize with him and yeah it's like you just want to like yeah it's, it's just incredible uh, yeah. brand new jesus christ check it out yeah but also don't this is not no, an do endorsement ah, just, don't check, just don't look up there yeah i don't know but do, so is that like i know we said that we were going to talk about this but we didn't really have a, a proper means of doing so but like mm. How come you're able to separate the art from the artist in that instance? Is it because you haven't seen the evidence yet and it's kind of, um, to you, it's just hearsay or that it's not even that, it's just something that you're not even prepared to delve into? I, I think I built an emotional connection with it before I heard about any of that. And I haven't looked into it deeper, probably willfully. Mm -hmm. And the, uh, the reward I get from listening to it is so good that I don't think, like, uh, yeah, it, it just, listening to that song, I don't think contributes neg negatively to the balance of good and evil in the universe. And if I get such a good like feeling from it, I just don't, can't rationalize not listening to it, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Um, I, I think I may go through the same process with the likes of David Bowie or, you know, uh, mm. Elvis Yeah, because like similar stories with that too. But I'm pretty sure there's verified stories of Bowie, right? That oh yeah, yeah, so... yeah. And then you get into like the awful murky waters of like moral relativism and yeah, yeah like yeah, depending yeah. on the decade and that sort of thing, which is yeah impossible to tease out. It is, isn't it? Like yeah, it's very hard for me to criticize. Um, so like, I'm pretty sure John Wayne was a white supremacist. Um, based on literally what he said, not, you know, stuff that I read in, in uh, Vox or whatever. Mm. Um, he, like, he had some incredibly troubling opinions about black people. And this was even yeah. in the 60s when you really should fucking know better, I feel like. Yeah. I feel like in the 60s, if you're, I feel like if you're holding a racist position from the 60s onwards, it's not really fair game anymore because there's actual policy in place to... So just to summarize... Matthew thinks that holding racist opinions before the 1960s was a-okay. I even think it's good. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it's not. Um, but I, I think it's easier to empathize with because if, if you're a, a, an uneducated proletariat in the 1950s who is constantly fed propaganda about how bad blacks are and you've never met a black person in your life, oh my God, I do not want to fucking talk about this actually. Jesus fucking Christ. That's um, a great song. We've spoken about it earlier. <laughs> I think I think what I said was fairly okay, though, right? Like, um, but with John Wayne, I, I just he is definitely a white supremacist, in my opinion. And Interesting. So I, I find it really hard to watch any of his movies, and not just because mm. they're garbage and overrated. Mm. But, um, there's something there, you know what I mean? Ah, uh, there's something like quintessentially old school American about him, and he has this presence about him that is very like attractive and magnetic and he suited those roles perfectly right um i don't know so much about the uh like kind of racist connotations or associations with him yeah yeah um, um 
Uh, no, yeah. like they're well documented. It would take yeah, ten yeah. seconds on Google to see verified stuff. I'm pretty sure he even did an article for Playboy magazine. I want to say ten seconds. I'm not my mother. I could have it in three or four. <laughs> <laughs> I don't type with just my index finger. <laughs> um, but um, but say somebody like Clint Eastwood, right? Yeah. Who is I don't know. He's like ninety, I think, or he's eighty nine, or something like that. He's knocking on the door. Yeah. Right. But yeah. his, so his, imagine how his grandfather probably was alive in the fucking 1860s or something like that. <laughs> um, now, Clint Eastwood, I don't believe has any troubling opinions about race. I don't think. But he, definitely, so, yeah. he has opinions about um, political correctness and stuff. And he, he says like, oh, it, it doesn't matter if you get called the N-word, stop being a pussy. He says stuff like that. Okay. Um, but I can see why a man who was fucking growing up as a teenager yeah. in like the 19 fucking 40s or whatever it yeah, was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see why his opinion would be that. He yeah, doesn't yeah. have the context that uh, that a millennial does for yeah, yeah. for what damage stuff like that does. So I can understand Clint Eastwood and I think it's fine. Enjoy like all his movies, whatever. Yeah. Um, and like, so I, I, I guess I create the line in my head of what's okay to to listen to and what isn't. Yeah. Um, but for some reason, it doesn't fly with certain things. Like if I hear an Elvis song, it doesn't bother me, even though I know full well that he definitely did some really bad shit too. Um, in what regard? Do you uh, mean like Mama Loved the Roses or? No, <laughs> I mean underage girls that he was. Okay. Um, or, or even like if I hear an Aerosmith song, like if I hear Dream On or fucking... Uh, I don't want to miss a thing. Sweet, oh, if I hear I don't want to miss a thing, I'm turning it off because it's garbage. But if it's I hear... It's garbage. It's it is. Brilliant. It's but if I hear Sweet Emotion, um, I'll leave it on or whatever, even though Steven Tyler has done some incredibly fucked up shit that's fucking on the record as well. Yeah. That's that, and stuff that like is, is if it happened today, he would be in jail kind of stuff. Mm. Um so like i don't know yeah. and it kind of goes back to how we were talking about the glorification and the adulation of so-called celebrities and heroes and stuff like that how we can communicate with them now um yeah it's like an interesting dynamic for some reason being on twitter with these people hasn't sort of leveled the playing field we still like look up to them so much more yeah, than so. perhaps we ought to yeah. yeah um i think do you think that um that celebrities fill part of the God void? That's a tough question. Uh, like, I guess, right? Yeah, like the, the God void is, this, or, or what could replace the God void is anything that you compare the best and worst parts of society with, right? Um, it, God is a way that we can better ourselves and and compare the best attributes that we wish to hold and to aim towards them and hope that we get closer to them. So I think, yeah, like, yeah, like if it's sports and you're big into sports, if it's music and you're big into music, like, yeah, it, it does to some extent. Mm. But then it, I, I'm not sure though, because say for instance, ancient Greek times, they had their heroes and then they also had their gods, right? Yeah. So you wouldn't say that ancient Greek heroes were filling a god void because there wasn't a god void so maybe then we're not comparing like with like i'm not sure it's a good question though yeah yeah i only ask good questions so you shouldn't be surprised <laughs> by that
<laughs> so funny doctor <laughs> um but yeah no, that is a good question uh i don't know i'd say to some degree yes and i'd say why not and i think to like what we look for in god can surely be gotten through adulation of certain people whom we glorify like we glorify people right and isn't that essentially what you do to a god worth pro pro propitiating i don't know mm. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like if you're going to glorify someone, you're going to like endow them with the ability to stand above you and be worthy of your adulation and adoration. So why couldn't we call that godlike? Yeah. I, yeah, I definitely think it is. And when you see Liam Gallagher with his thumbs in his pants, staring at a crowd of like 50,000, there's certainly something regal or, mm. yeah. I saw I saw them live, and when Noel was singing "Little by Little," uh, Liam just stood there at the very, very front, like the edge of the stage, with his hands in his pockets and his sunglasses on, just looking out for the whole gig. And like mm. Noel is the one singing the song. The song's pretty fucking good, but I was just mm. looking at Liam the whole time, like that's the coolest man in the world. Yeah, <laughs> there yeah. He is like. Yeah, and a really cool voice as well. You can't quite put your finger on why it's so cool. Yeah, yeah. His his voice is Oasis. Yeah, exactly. Because I remember as a kid, it was Oasis MTV Unplugged. Mm. Yeah. And I, I, and I fell in love with Liam's voice like the first time I heard it. It was just like this really cool voice that you just want to sound like or you just want to listen to all the time or whatever. And then like Noel was playing and singing. I was like, this isn't Oasis. Yeah, I know. Um... Yeah. I, I, Noel's version of Wonderwall at that unplugged session is my favorite version of Wonderwall. Is it? Okay, I don't think I know it. All I remember thinking is this just sounds, sounds like a regular singer. I'm not going to watch it anymore. Uh, I think it's just, it's sang with, a, there's a, an orchestra behind them. And um, there's hmm. something about it that's just uh, kind of magical or something to me. Um, it, it almost hmm. feels like, I don't know. There's a lot of early Oasis moments like that um, that I listen back to and it feels like this is just a band who changed the world and this is them at their very peak before yeah. it all went to shit. And I find, yeah. I don't know what it is, but I'm so fascinated by the, the um, how can I put this? The most polarizing albums in a band's discography, like the album that is labeled the one where they fell apart those are like the most interesting albums to me. Um, mm. And so like Be Here Now is in a very weird way, quite possibly my favorite Oasis album, even mm. though it's mm -hmm. universally recognized to be their worst. Do you think it could be because you associate certain ideas with the songs and you try to fill the gaps with maybe knowledge you've gleaned from interviews and that sort of thing. So the album takes on another level, like yeah. it takes on an, another uh, being. There's in that a it, yeah. few reasons for it. Um, the f so reason number one, if you'll indulge me, is mm -hmm. um, I so the the revisionist um, account of Be Here Now is that Oasis got fucking huge. Be Here Now was going to be the album that sold twenty million records in the world, um, and it was going to be Oasis at their very best. And the um, what's it called? The summary of what happened instead of that is that they they got mad high on coke um added way too many layers of guitar tracks because they were so high they couldn't fucking even hear what they were saying mm. they were so arrogant that they thought that just the songs alone and making them sound more mega 
I just did air quotes for anyone listening. Um, and also, to anyone listening, we're actually on TV here. So if you go to YouTube, you can watch us. But um, so they did all of that. And then the songs just didn't have the weight. There was too much production on it. Um, mm. And subsequently, it became the most returned album of the year or the most, what was it? The most, um, the album that appeared in the most charity shops the next year or something along those yeah, lines. Yeah, yeah. Hold on to it. A damning but statement. I, I don't subscribe to this theory at all because... Noel had so many of these songs already um, long before Be Here Now was even thought of. This, this in my mind, was actually Noel's um, idea of a magnum opus. Um, mm. you can, if you watch the Supersonic documentary, you can see Oasis demoing the track all around the world in mm. something like 1994, I think it was. Mm. Um, the the money that they had to put into the Be Here Now record um, and the the subsequent extra layers of production that went into it, I believe that that was Noel's final version of it. They said that the tracks went way over long because they were so fucking coked out of their head that they kept jamming to these tracks. Like, it's nonsense. There are these things called the... I forget the fucking name of the demos. Um, they're named after an island in the Caribbean that they went to to record the demos. They went there on holiday with Johnny Depp or whatever. What the fuck is the name of them? Um, but anyway, they, uh, they recorded all the demos. The demos just sound the exact same, except they haven't added the layers of production. The tracks are the same length. They tried mm. to remaster the album and make the tracks shorter so that it would suit a better album. And Noel got the song... The opening track of the album is called Do You Know What I Mean? It's seven minutes and 42 seconds. Noel remastered it and got it down to like five minutes and 49 seconds. It's still not a very short song. And when yeah. he had finished when he had finished remastering that track, he fucking gave up. <laughs> and the whole idea of the album being remastered never happened because it yeah. was so much effort to do that one track. Like, I just don't, I think that Be Here Now was what Noel thought was rock and roll and that it would be the album that fucking broke them into the big, big, big time. Yeah. Um, and Liam subscribes to that notion because he says, I don't get why Noel hates it. It's a fucking banging album. And like, I agree. I think it's fucking badass. I think Fading Out is like the most unique Oasis song. It's like a fucking Southern rock song or something like that. It's yeah, like the yeah, yeah. intro ever. And it's got really glossy production. Like, mm. I agree that you basically can't hear a bass guitar in the entire fucking album, but I don't think it suffers from that either. I think My Big Mouth is one of Oasis' best songs ever, except the production on that song is all over the fucking place. Mm. You can barely even make out the lyrics because there's about six different vocal tracks bouncing around, particularly in the build-up to the chorus. Um, but overall, I think the album is fucking deadly. I think the songs are yeah. so sing-alongable. Um, I don't know. I think if they recorded it again today, it would be considered like an amazing return to form for them. So, Yeah, interesting. And you're a newbie to this band, Oasis, so That's it's right. all new to you. Yeah, I never even heard of them until last week. Fresh so. ears. Fresh ears always <laughs> tell the truest story. That's true, yeah. But also, yeah. to your earlier point, you asked me if I filled in the gaps of what they mean. Like, yeah, I definitely have an idea of what every track on the album means. Exactly. So then it gets then it gets sentimental. And as we've already discussed, sentimentality uh, and nostalgia are the strongest forces in the universe. I would love to do a podcast with you where we just talk about nostalgia. Yeah. Um, but even if it were possible to do some kind of screen share thing where we could like share videos of stuff 
from like mm. the late nineties and be like, look at this offspring video, like listen to that'd this. Be, yeah, exactly. That'd be really cool. Um, yeah, just have them like lined up and just go mm. through them one by one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that'd, that'd be that'd really be cool. Class. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure there's a way of getting that done maybe. And not suffering the wrath of the uh, copyright. Strike. I'll just ask my producer, Jamie, do you think that we could do that? Yeah. All right. He doesn't exist, so he doesn't know. <laughs> so he will do it. Yes, Everyone, absolutely. if you've any problems with what we show, just write to Jamie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. One El De Niro Drive. Yeah, pull that shit up, Jamie. Yeah. Um, and not just your pants. <laughs> Jesus. Um, all right, I think we talked about music too much. A lot of people don't even listen to music. Who, uh, yeah, who, who likes music these days? Yeah, that's correct. It's, uh, it's overrated. Overall, I'd give it about a 6.6 .6 out of 10 as a concept. Yeah, and not the infinity six with the dot on it. That's far too long. Yes, <laughs> precisely. <laughs> um, do you have any other thing that you were binging on in the uh, yes. lockdown? So this is kind of a tragic story. Um, kind of tragic like the story of the story so uh i was like getting into fallout 4 again i think it's like one of the greatest games ever uh i just think the story of it's incredible the gameplay is some of the most addictive i've ever played and i've played it a few times finished it a few times i think it's brilliant but this time i was like no you know what i'll go back and have a perfect playthrough like i knew exactly how i was going to do it um and just to put it into perspective like i was level 70 before getting with the railroad if anyone has played it and kind of understand where I'm coming from and it was just unbelievable um, and I think actually in this particular global climate Fallout 4 is a pretty good uh, parallel thinking game in relation to kind of yeah just the world's gone to shit and you can't do anything it's it has a post-apocalyptic feel where you can't even get toilet roll and eggs in a shop Mm -hmm. So I was playing anyway, and it was a good way to like spend the time in the evenings. Uh, like it's pure escapism; it's brilliant, and I love it. Um, but yeah, uh, then no, I had, <laughs> it, it's it's so personal. But I, I I essentially got a character glitch or flaw that Bethesda is known for, and it, like I literally got turned off from it overnight. Um, so yeah, I didn't like. So I was playing about three hours a day got a character flaw glitch whatever and then i was just like well there's no point in playing now he's ruined forever and my perfect playthrough is done um and i haven't played it since but the game itself though i think is a great one to play like i don't know like you you've never played fallout have you no like it's so good it's so fun and fallout 4 is just like one of the best games ever it's just like the highest form of escapism it's just brilliant isn't it very hard for you to express that to me a man who hasn't played it like yeah, it's, completely. Yeah, I fucking hate that when that happens. Like, I believe you 100%. Yeah. But yeah. I feel like without the context, I just I can't. Um, Jack, the guy who used to host this podcast with me, he loved Fallout as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like one of his favorite games. I mean, he's not dead. <laughs> it's yeah. one of his favorite game series. I yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, like, it's absolutely incredible. And like, it has like one of the best like side characters of all time, like Nick Valentine, who's like this... 1940s 50s detective whose personality was implanted into this like synthetic human or robot and then he woke up and he's like what the hell's going on i'm like this detective blah 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 I'm like what's this body i'm in 
but like he's just honestly one of the coolest people in any game of all time. Um, mm. And like, I, I literally like, if he joins my party, I never have the heart to like send him away or pick a new partner because I feel like I'm backstabbing like one of the nicest people. That's like, so, so funny. Yeah. yeah. When you develop a personal... Uh... Yeah, completely though. Mm. And like, and he always, and I love how like, and he's such an upstanding moral citizen that you actually feel like he betters you because when you're with him, you won't do things that are morally ambiguous because you know he'll comment on the action and yeah. you don't want him to be like looking down on you. So when I have him in my party, I actually am much more like morally good in follow, which basically means you're not mean to people, you don't kill people, you don't steal from people. But like if he wasn't in my party, I'd be a lot more liberal and loose with my morals. No, ah, so you think the liberals are loose with their morals? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do. Um, but, <laughs> but yeah, like, and, and, and I actually am so frustrated that you, that you don't understand what I'm saying in terms of like how good this game is. Yeah. Because yeah. like, I certainly know how good AOE is. Like I bought it, I think like the first year it came out, like in the 90s and I loved it straight away. It's like one of the greatest games of all time. I know but it still bothers me that you don't play it now. It's like, like I don't know. I, I can't explain it. Like it's because I'm I've got an apple. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm not. No, <laughs> to be clear, I'm not disappointed in you as a person, John. <laughs> <laughs> I told you to stop. <laughs> I just think the ergonomic design suits my workspace better. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, but no, like when you talk about chess, I'm like, <laughs> stop that. AOE is so much better than chess. It's a more complex game. It's better. It's got the same score system. It uses an ELO system, but it's better. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, like I've no idea. Like, um, I, I could see maybe how or why. Can do you think you could program a computer to play AOE? No. Interesting. Why is that? Um, because you can con so when you say play, what do you mean to com uh, to complete yeah. a competitive match in a one v one against a human? Yeah, absolutely, it already does that. But and how does it fare? It does not beat the best AOE player in the world at all, ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, unless it okay. Actually, there are like. There have been custom-made modded AIs that mm. I think can beat the best human in the world, but they're mm. cheating when they do it. They're not using the resource system. They're, they literally have an extra code of like extra food, extra wood. So it's not... It's not Robots don't need food. <laughs> but but it, it would be like if, if, um, if when Deep Blue beat Garry Kasparov, it would be as if Deep Blue had like five extra moves. Yeah, okay, yeah, fair enough. But, but how does it get access to that? It's just coded in by whoever. This isn't this isn't something that the game has made. Just to be clear, this is a mod that people have added into Steam so that they can challenge themselves. Do you know what I okay. mean? Okay, well, fair enough. Yeah, because if the if the computers uh, if the AI at the minute isn't beat people, then of course you're going to handicap it to make it competitive. No, it beats most people, I would assume. But there's one guy in AOE who is the best player in the world, and the hardest AI will not defeat him ever in 100 games out of 100. Interesting. Yeah interesting because like have you heard about like kind of like google's what was it there was leela chess no leela chess was an independent source like an open source ai and it utilized like 
people's computing power. So people would sign up to Leela Chess and then the program would utilize the computing power in each of the laptops or computers that was subscribed to it and to get better and better, it would play against itself. And then there was a Google version that was like playing like the most insanely good chess of all time and was beating the greatest chess engine, Stockfish. And people were like, holy fuck, like this is like a new generation in computer chess. Mm -hmm. And it was also playing chess in a way that no one had ever seen because the way chess engines work is they're programmed by people usually or often from books and theory that's already existed. So the ground is sort of skewed in it that it plays like humans. But what, what they did, I'm trying to remember, let, let me just Google what the um, Google's chess you google that i'm gonna go for a piss and get a beer yeah, right google. so have you googled the thing i have indeed so yeah uh google developed this program called alpha zero and alpha zero is a chess ai artificial intelligence program and the only things they loaded it with were essentially the rules of chess what pawns bishops knights etc what they can do how a game starts and then they basically just let it play itself over and over and over they didn't feed it any theory so they didn't like start with the way say a chess engine does and give like weight or value to these things i don't believe i could be wrong but what i all i know is that all it did was weigh a win so a win is a good thing a loss is a bad thing and then over time they saw how it was playing and it was just a complete game changer they were doing moves that humans would never even think of and that's always really interesting right because yeah how can you learn the things you don't even know to look for um and then like so stockfish is like a really really strong engine like uh, even stockfish would beat magnus carlson the best chess player who's ever lived so stockfish was already ahead of the best people and then alpha zero came in google's own chess ai and it like mopped the floor with it like it didn't lose a game that's fucking nuts isn't it and all it did was play itself over and over like that's all it did to learn was be like, okay, I'm just going to play myself, see what works, see what doesn't work. And then because it's AI based, I don't understand how computer science works. It can incorporate wins and losses into its thinking pattern or models. And then it just gets better and better and better. And suddenly it's the greatest chess program on the planet. Like that's scary. Did you ever hear about, um, I feel like you might know more about this than I do, but there was an AI um, that they programmed to play video games and they taught it one game. And I can't remember, was it like fucking Pac-Man or something? Yeah, or Minesweeper or something like that. And then yeah. it learned other games off the back of what it learned about no this one game. And so by the end of the test or whatever it was, and I don't know the details for this. So anyone listening, like, I'm really sorry. Yeah. I'm just like talking about a thing that I heard about five years ago. Um, not three years ago i'd say but yeah so they they taught it one game and it subsequently learned other games and then mm. it became like the best in the world at like a load of those games and nice. yeah it's crazy were they all like 80s like atari games i yeah but i think there were some that weren't like along the lines of solitaire i don't think solitaire was one of them but i think there were card games involved um, solitaire really annoys me I for the main reason that sometimes you can just get a bad fucking deck have you, so what you were just saying about chess, right, I think is mind-blowing that the it game has been around as long as it has and that a yeah. computer has just figured out the, as we know it now, the best way of playing it. 100%. No, have it certainly heard, has. Have you ever heard this thing about how if you take a deck of cards and throw it up in the air all the way that they land, or no, it's not even that. It's not even as, as complex as that. It's that when you shuffle a deck of cards, yeah. the likelihood 
that anyone has ever shuffled a deck of cards that have landed in the exact same yeah. order that you it's it's like impossible yeah 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 it's like never happened like in in theoretical mathematics yeah yeah, yeah. no two shuffled yeah. decks of cards are ever the exact same ever yes. in the history of the world like, it's 52 factorial like if you wanted to calculate it mathematically to see if so the it, chance so if you have a deck in any particular order. Just imagine you would shuffle it yourself, say, oh, for an hour. Can I just, just test my maths knowledge and ask you, is it, yeah. forget that number, do you multiply 52 by 51 by 50 by 49 by Exactly, 49? exactly. Oh, yeah. Good man. But yeah, so if you actually calculate that, it's a, it's a mind-blowing amount and probably results in more uh, like uh, than any amount of like decks of cards that have ever existed. Mm -hmm. But yeah. then it's, I would say based on nothing and me being a lay person and like the type of person who should not weigh in on this type of subject, I'd say that probably has been the same deck of cards drawn twice, just based on things like the fact that, do you remember like a few years ago, probably about 15 years ago, the Hungarian lotto numbers were the same for two weeks in a row. Did you ever hear well, that? But didn't they just realize that the electronic machine was stuck? I fucking hope not. No, I'm only joking. No, I've never heard that. That's pretty insane. <laughs> Jesus Christ. The light just disappeared from my eyes. <laughs> I know, I know. They, they, they just forgot to hit the button. Yeah, again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did no one reset the machine from last Yeah, time? exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's wow. interesting. No. Um, but that's the... Well, you know what's one of, my, like one of my least favorite of all time sayings? That's the exception that proves the rule. <laughs> like, I've never heard the, that in my life. Have you not? People Most always say that. Swear to God. But that's the exception that, that proves the It's like, what does that even mean? Like, if you actually break that down. It means down, nothing, yeah. It means absolutely means, uh, nothing. Yeah, that's the exception that proves the rule. No, like, yeah, actually, I just want to, yeah. For anybody listening, uh, if you could explain that to me in the comments, I'd be eternally grateful. Dude, I have so many hang-ups about language things. There are language so many things. I can see uh, one of them is... <laughs> <laughs> there are so many linguistic hills that I'm willing to die on. There we go. Um, now we're the, talking. I don't know. Should I even get into them here? I think you uh, should. So one of them, you're guilty of this, but I don't, I don't, uh, I did one time call you out on it and we had a discussion about it and you agreed with me. So I leave you off whenever you do it. But uh, literally, <laughs> is that it? I say literally. I love uh, literally when I don't mean it literally. Like I literally died. I, I have no qualms with that. Yeah, because you're using it as um, hyperbole. You're but, utilizing but, but, but by hyperbole. Definition, but by definition, I understand no that. With, yeah, me yeah, too. But, but by definition, like, died has no place in it. You know what I mean? Like, by definition, you didn't die. No, but, but that's the point. Yeah, is I know. That is that you're using literally with died? Yeah, I don't, I don't, I, I don't I agree don't, with... I have no problem with it. I, yeah. I, I, I use that all the time. Yeah, but so. go on, sorry. What are the linguistic kills you're... So one of them, in? one of them that comes to mind is um, this, this, this jumper needs washed. This t-shirt needs washed. Mm. That's not a fucking sentence. It needs to be washed or it has been washed or it will be washed. It does not need washed. That's not how verbs work. Fuck off. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know. It's, 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 it's a very... Is it very Irish? No, it's not Irish at all. It's British. Yeah, Nobody it's British. in Ireland says this. Only British people say this. Is it? Yeah, I'm pretty absolutely. sure I've heard that before. I have never that, heard that, that it. That needs cleaned. 
Interesting. No. Okay. No. I first ever heard that when I lived in Scotland and I was like, sorry, what? It needs cleaned. And they were like, I fucking needs cleaned, you ball bag. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, it fuck, that fucking drives me demented. I hate it. And I hate, there's loads of things that the English say where they say instead of sixth, they say sixth. Like, sorry, oh, no, they, do, you know, do you know what's really funny? You know, if they're trying to say like, though, they'll say foe or like THs as Fs. Yeah, but when we say tree. when we say tree, we get fucking lambasted and, and pilloried for it. And there's another one that really fucking irritates me. And you see the BBC are guilty of this, is they say an historic event took place today. Listen, lads, there is no fucking N if it's followed by a word that starts with a H unless you're a cockney. It's not an historic event. It's a historic event. Why are you yeah. saying an historic event? Like you sound like a fucking moron when you say that. <laughs> Honestly, it sounds so right into them. But no, but it sounds tick. Like, I just, like, I don't know. Not you know what I hate? So there's a good rule of thumb in writing that if you're describing anything between zero and 10, you should use, uh, I want to get this right. <laughs> Shit, what is it? So there's one you use numbers for, and then after that, you should use the words. Yeah, so if it's between zero and 10, you can use like the word. So like, if you're going to say there was one person, you'd say like O-N-E. But if you're going to say 11, you'd use the number 11. But you should always try to pair them. So if it was, there was between one and 11 people, you shouldn't like write one and then have like the number 11 or whatever. I, I you know agree what I mean? with that. I do but they, that. But, um, but they do that all the time in the news because in their mind, the rule is that, that okay, between zero and 10, it's this. And then but it's, it looks so disgusting when you have yeah, like it, a word written out and then numbers laid out. I... So ugly. My my gut instinct is to always just write the number out. I don't know yeah, why. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'd like, uh, like, yeah. Once you're consistent about it, I think it's fine. But like to have like the word O N E and then the number eleven, it's like there's the a, there's another one that really fucking annoys me. Actually, there's two more. So one is um, I think this has changed. You know how people say um, uh, what's the word? Irregardless now. Yeah, I know. Which is stupid. You've got two things that are let. You've got ir and less. Therefore, yeah, exactly. like, if you add both of those to the word regard, they cancel yeah, each other yeah, out. Yeah. Irregardless means like the opposite of what you think it means. Yeah. And, and also, it's just it's it's a non thing. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So to use my vocabulary, it's a non. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's a certain kind of nothingness. But um. Yeah. Something else is happening to the word debate in that sense, where people say, I'm debating going to get a packet of crisps. And I can't explain, I don't think there's actually a rule in the English language or a definition that backs me up on this, but mm -hmm. just the word debate by its nature implies an interactive sort of a setting. And if you mm -hmm. say you're debating it, like you're not, you're contemplating it. You mean the mm -hmm. word contemplating and they both have eating in them. So mm -hmm. you're saying debating because you couldn't mm -hmm. think of the word contemplating, but it really fucking irritates me. I'm debating yeah. going down and get a pack of crisps. Like, are you actually, yeah, in, in your head, is there fucking two voices? Like, you know, yeah, you're drawing yeah, up a list yeah. of pros and cons. It's not the same thing as debating. Like it's- Yeah, exactly, yeah. Another thing that I think uh, a lot of people mistake is, you know, like the word myriad. A lot of people say, oh, there was like, I've got a myriad of reasons why I like that. The reasons why I like that are myriad. Is what yeah, or, or just there are myriad reasons. Like, like myriad basically just means many. There are many reasons. There are myriad reasons. The other one of that is, not, it's not the other one of that, but it's, it's another one that people get wrong is 
I was enamored with that. Like, no, you were enamored mm. of that. You don't get mm. enamored with things, you get enamored of them. Um, mm. And one that really fucking irritates me, and I see Neil deGrasse Tyson, the fucking most pedantic man in the entire fucking universe, has gotten this wrong loads of times. You say, um, this beer is comprised of wheat oh, and alcohol. No, nope, yes. this beer comprises those things. It or is it's composed, composed of, of. Exactly. Neil deGrasse Tyson doesn't know that. I think that could actually be the worst of all because I think that is like so much more common than all the other ones we said. Yeah. It's comprised of, yeah. Yeah, it's so, exactly. every it's so, time I hear it, I fucking- Grinds die. my gears. <laughs> but like, <laughs> you, you left me a voice note today and there was some noise happening in the background and you said the word comprised and I thought that you said is comprised of and I stopped and I went back five seconds and I was like this. <sighs> yeah. God, you know. and I was good, was I? I was clean. You were, yeah. You passed. I let, I, you, I, I let you in. I've kept my integrity for another yeah, day. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You've lost it a few times during this podcast, but I can't. Well, yeah. I'm only human. Um, but these uh, these linguistic hills are—they um, mm. will probably be the death of me. <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, what? better way to die i don't know john talk <laughs> stuff. yeah um yes so linguistic and hills hilly hillish veils verdant veils very verdant veils. <laughs> they lived on a hill they did oh. with a baby son over the hills and far away yeah a very weird show a lot like do you remember the moorbegs from moorbeg land yeah they're not a thing you know the, the brits don't know what they are they're only oh. an Irish thing. Yeah. Well, if you want nightmares, mm. YouTube Moorbegs. They need help to understand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you remember the Paddington? <laughs> yeah, we just remember, dive into like. Do you remember bananas in pajamas? Fuck that me. was brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so uh, that was a good discussion about linguistic hills that I would have. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think we just got some stuff off our chest in terms of what pisses us off. I feel about 180 pounds lighter after that. Good, good. Um, yeah, I just okay. call that the, the effect of Brexit for me. That's a good. That's a good one. I'll allow it. <laughs> yeah, we don't want to get into what I think about puns. I suppose. No. Uh, yeah, punitive measures for all puns. Oh, look, it's Rapunzel over here. Oh, oh look, it's Beardy McBeardy face. Wow, you got me. I have to say, I look fantastic. Um, yeah. I feel bad for people coming out of this lockdown that don't look as good as I do. Like, it's... Mm. It's going on. Anyway, let's talk about movies because we talked about music way too much. So do you have any movies that you have turned to in the in the face of this lockdown period? Um, <clears throat> well, I will take that as a no. <laughs> have I, any movies? Yeah. But I'm just trying to think about what the best one to talk about is. Okay. Um, like I did watch The Shining and The Shining obviously kind of resonates now because he's essentially a man who gets cabin fever and goes crazy. And I think a lot of people listening will probably have felt the same way, although hopefully they won't have carried out the uh, terrible atrocities that Jack Torrance did. Mm -hmm. um, but there's so many different, I think, aspects to that book that are just so brilliantly done. 
Um, and also I'd say, I don't actually know which I prefer between the book and the movie, and they're very different, which is a lot like, uh, or rather a lot of Stephen King adaptations mm -hmm. take on different forms when they're depicted visually, because I think he's a very visual writer. Um, but because of that, it's very hard to portray that in movies sometimes because he utilizes the imagination in a way that's really hard to make use of in kind of from a visual or cinematic point of view. And, uh, and he just does such a brilliant job of hinting at things that sort of creep up on your shoulder while you're reading and then suddenly like you're just faced with it. Mm. Um, I just think it's brilliant. But yeah, like a, a literal lockdown in The Shining, uh, going crazy, uh, the virus of kind of paranoia and delusion affecting him and the impact that can have. And why is there absolutely no effort being made by governments in any countries to ensure the stable mental health of the people they're like demanding, say, for a while, maybe not so much anymore, but like stay inside um, with people, say, for instance, like large families where they're on each other's toes and each other's faces for super extended periods of time that wasn't healthy at all and expecting that to go well. And then you see things like domestic violence rates like skyrocketing. I will say the Dutch government... Have you seen the statement they made that people need to find a sex buddy? I did actually. Yeah, that was in the BBC. Yeah, That's a strange one. Like, yeah, no, no, it wasn't so much a sex buddy as much as it was. If you do find one, just keep it to one, or like mm -hmm. just, yeah, yeah, maintain a single sex buddy relationship, which obviously which people call boyfriend and girlfriend, but like to the Dutch, it's a, a buddy. That's they haven't seen my beard, so they don't know how impossible it is for a man like this to uh, keep it. Be to just satiated one. with just one woman. I've I've actually had to say to the girls that that um, congregate outside my house, I've had to be like, look, you're, you're supposed to be social distancing, like keep five meters apart. Yeah, yeah. But they're not listening to it. And like, I feel terrible. But I mean, what am I going to do? Yeah. It's an unfortunate consequence of being this good looking, you know? Like, and I then you like, you, you trim some locks off and throw it out the window and like yeah. fish to a, a crowd of seals. I, I wouldn't do that. I don't want to lose my power. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're like a bearded Samson. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought you were going to say I'm like a bearded somebody who has a beard. You know, like. <laughs> Why can I not think of a single person with a beard? Leonidas. Yeah. That's the yeah. second time you've said that I'm like him. So I really... Actually, it's the first time. The, first, <laughs> the other time I said Leonidas, which was That's... his ug ugly, shorter, fatter brother. <laughs> yeah. We have also arrested your older, bolder, fatter son. <laughs> oh my God, the Simpsons. Like that is something like if you wanted to spend hours upon hours doing something constructive, productive and enormously worthwhile, just watch the first 10 seasons of the Simpsons. One of my friends made a, have you ever heard of the rapper Future? No. He's a rapper, but um, the he's... rapper Future is a rapper. He's been on the scene for about eight years, I'd say, um, in terms of like mainstream recognition. But in the year 2015, Future went fucking crazy and released like an album or a mixtape or a demo or some shit like every single week. And it was fucking insane. In and was like, it good quality? Amazing quality. Like if, yeah. you, if you like one of his songs, you will like all of his songs. He's like the ACDC of rap. Like, he's just fucking incredible. Every single thing he does is a home run, if you like it. If you don't, you won't. Um, he raps in auto-tune to these real, like, codeine... Um, I, I can only call them, like, condensed beats. There's, like, no room for... I mean, codeine. 
Um, do you know this thing about how every rapper is on codeine right now? No. Okay, well, every rapper is on codeine right now. Um, do you know? Do you know what lean is? No, what is lean? Have you ever heard of that? It's a it's a street name for when people get cough syrup, the codeine cough syrup, and take really high quantities of it with Jesus. like Jolly Ranchers and stuff in it. Um, Do you know why codeine is in cough medicine? Because it relaxes all its muscle relaxants, I would guess, or something along those lines. It's an anti-tussive. What does that mean? That means it stops you coughing. Would muscle relaxant... Not really, no. So it would um, be more specific. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I fuck off. So, so like... <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, sorry, go on. There um, so leaning. So I, I guess to give you the full context of future and then explain why I'm talking about him, which is one image. Um, rap music is having its emo moment. It's finally learning... Uh, how to be emotionally expressive. I'm sure you've heard some elements of this. Uh, do you know who Post Malone is? Yeah, of course. Have you heard you any see of his Nirvana songs? covers? Mm, yes. They were incredible. I, I have a weird relationship with him. I, I like him, but I also don't like him or want to like him. But I don't I, really know him at all, but I thought he did an incredible job doing Nirvana, which is no easy feat. I feel like I just wish he made rock music and stopped vampiring from rap. I just, yeah. he's not a rapper. I don't want him associated with rap. Word on the street is, is that he sort of started off that way, but then he like went to where the money is. I'm sure you're know. well aware of the word on the street in the rap game, doctor. <laughs> <laughs> I, I lean this way, I lean that way. I think, I don't think you were kidding when you said you met Dr. Dre. My before. rap name is Tower of Pisa. Because you lean and you know what lean is and lean. I will give it to you. You've tied that all together very well in a pretty little bow. Like, well done. Anytime, babe. All right. That's weird. But um, so future. So rap is having its emo moment. Uh, rappers are learning that emotions exist, but they are not dealing with them in a cathartic way. They are instead choosing to suppress them with cough syrup and Xanax. Suppress what with that? E emotion. Interesting. Okay. Um. Rap is opening itself up to the concept of depression, I would say. This is like, for the listeners, I'm being like semi-facetious, but also like fairly serious with what I'm talking about. Uh, I just realize how white I sound. Do you not think like Eminem, like to, to use a putative example, delved yeah, into the... but I think Eminem's... Like Self-harm, depression, suicide. Absolutely, I do. And I would say he's part of the reason that they're able to go and do that now. But I think mm. that like with, with the exception of Eminem, there are very few, like I can think of like even Cage or like there's a few underground rappers you could point to who were happy enough to express emotion through rap. But I really think that Kanye West with 808s and Heartbreaks and Drake were two guys who showed that you can make club bangers that are still filled with emotion, negative emotion specifically, right? Like mm -hmm. You had like LL Cool J was making jams about being in love with a girl or Nelly or whatever. So to summarize, you think that rap is now commercializing negative emotion? Very much so, yes. Mm -hmm. And I think Post Malone is the fucking apex, the pinnacle of commercialized emotion. And that's negative not, emotion. Negative emotion, sorry, yes. Mm. Um, and that's not even to say that he doesn't feel any of the stuff that he sings about. It's just mm. that is absolutely what he is, is that he's mm. a conduit through which negative emotion is expressed in rap. Mm. But without Future, you would never have Post Malone getting away with being on stage singing songs like I Fall Apart. 
and future laid the groundwork for all of that stuff every single soundcloud rapper in my opinion would not exist without future um mm. future was the guy who so kanye made an album in 2007 i want to say called 808s and heartbreaks where he sings a little bit but he's got auto-tune and it's it's mm. a very weird kind of sound but it sounds condensed and claustrophobic and mm. um i don't know it, it just sounds trapped kind of mm. and it works on a symbolic level because oftentimes what they're talking about is how trapped they are. I know that sounds so pretentious to people, but like I'm actually <laughs> explaining a thing that's happening in hip hop music here. Um, but Future really, really, really like, as he says in one of his mixtapes, he took the game and he ran with it. Or, sorry, he took the pain and he ran with it. Um, and he just made songs that were just, just a man bearing his soul, like talking about how numb he is because of how much coding he's taken to suppress all the fucking pain that he feels. Mm. Talking about like simultaneously talking about how many Lamborghinis he owns while talking about how much he hates himself. Um, just doing all of these things. Yeah. And, um, he just released mixtape after mixtape, which for want of a better term, like a mixtape is an album the only thing that separates it is what he says basically mm. so like i think he has like six albums but to me he has like 15 albums mixtapes yeah. are so good they are of such good quality exactly yeah yeah so he will sort of downgrade them with that term but essentially like given the quality of them they're equivalent yeah there's there's a a trio of them there's like monster 56 nights and beast mode um, and their cool names. he's got a track called Cody and crazy. And it's one of my favorite rap songs of all time. But, um, so he, people don't really know how codeine works. It is a moo opioid, uh, kind of agonist in that it stimulates your endogenous opioid receptors, numbs pain, but unfortunately develop tolerance quite quick with it. There's an opioid crisis in the U S because of drugs like oxycodone and stuff like that getting prescribed willy nilly. And oftentimes when you take them, because they'll numb you, you'll sit down a lot, you'll develop chronic pain, you'll become depressed, and the sequelae of using opioids is pretty bad and pretty well documented. Um, but yeah, look it up. That was a very kind of blanket uh, description of the yeah the problems associated with it. But obviously, like some people need them, some people are in pain. Um, but yeah. Would you be interested in participating in some kind of a book club with me, except instead of books, it's albums, where... I'll, I'll give you an album to listen to. I'll give you the context around it, why I think it's great. And you listen to it with that context in mind and then you tell me what you think of it and then you yeah. do the same and then... Yeah, perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we can actually break them down and talk about each other's viewpoint with them. I think that'd be brilliant. Sweet, let's do that. We can even do it. We can record it for YouTube even. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would love that. I would okay. absolutely love that. And I think really the context is so important because, and I mean this with every fiber of my being when I know something about a band and I can kind of relate to it in some way or personalize them I find it so much easier to get into music absolutely into, into yeah. their music yeah the band in question yeah yeah um so anyway to, to go back to future um and to tie it back to the Simpsons this is such good podcasting we're, we're like expert podcasters here. yes we are um if you like one future song, you will in all likelihood like every single one of his songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were saying that's so interesting. And yet, for some reason, every album he makes, he just kills it. Like, I'm so... Mm. He just released one uh, at the end of last week called High Off Life, and it's fucking amazing. And my friend made this meme. I'm not sure if you'll be able to read it on the screen if I... Yeah, just tap the... Um... No, that's not going to work, is it? No, it would probably be the... Read it out to me. I, I, I know the image, so just read out what it says. 
really thought yeah. I was going to focus there. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it says Future releasing the same album over and over and then Homer eating the donuts, me. Yeah, 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 yeah. Never getting sick of it. Yeah. So yeah. Um, that's, that's a good meme, actually. It is, yeah. And then yeah. I'll show you one that I made for good measure. It's Homer eating the donuts and you've just reworded. <laughs> yeah, I've changed the words slightly. Uh, what album am I even in here? Photos, gallery. Ah, fuck it. I made, I made a, I made a meme of like Stone Cold Steve Austin and Vince McMahon like cheersing each other with beers. Mm. And Stone Cold Steve Austin is my depression. Vince McMahon is my anxiety, and The Rock lying unconscious on the ground is me. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I already know what what album I want you to listen to and for us to talk about, and uh, it's it's. I think I know which one I want you to. Nice. Should we tell each other or no? Okay. Yeah. Well, or, okay. So who's going to go first? I, I'll, you came up with the idea. I'll listen to yours first. Okay. So mine is going to be Swimming by Mac Miller. Okay, cool. And the context of it is he had a very public breakup with Ariana Grande. He had a very public drug addiction to benzos, uh, particularly Xanax and codeine. I don't know if codeine is a benzo. You're probably going to tell me it's not, but Xanax is, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then he released the album Swimming, which was about his emotional headspace in that time. And yeah. then he overdosed and died. Oh, wow. And um, yeah, and that's all I'll say. And cool. if we each listen to the album and then talk about it, I think that's going to be like a pretty good... We can call it a series, like the album club or something like that. Cool, cool. So um, Yeah, that's, okay, brilliant. Yeah, I'll totally check that out. Um sweet i think that's a really good idea actually yeah yeah brilliant something for the listeners a whole new fucking podcast yeah, yeah a whole new genre yeah they're so spoiled by me <laughs> uploading episode 130 of my podcast after fucking six years or something <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so spoiled. but that just goes to show the quality right exactly. you gotta keep them coming back yeah <laughs> <laughs> all all my listeners are this is a meme um, all of my listeners are, I'm the Atlantic City Massacre, and all my listeners are Al Pacino saying, just when I thought I was out, they pull me back in. <laughs> and at episode 150, I'll show you what's under my lucky cap. Nice. <laughs> I'll show, on episode 150, I'll show everyone. No, I won't. Um, at episode 150, I don't know, fuck off, really. <laughs> I'll show you. Uh, You're not meant to say that. I'll show you what happens when I press this button. <laughs> at episode one fifty. So. I can't. I don't even know what button you pointed to, but I can't wait. I pointed to the button that says flash. So <laughs> you guys want to know what flash looks like? It's a, the eighteen plus podcast. <laughs> yeah. I can't wait. It's going to be uploaded to BitChute, so. Hope everyone's excited. Nah, I can, I can, uh, I don't know, just listen to it. It's not going to be up for about six years. So it doesn't really fucking matter, does it? Oh, God. Oh. Yep. So, um, is that it? You want to go to bed? Yeah, I think, I think that was a good time. I, I think we actually pulled a really good part. I think the energy today was actually much better than the last time. Yeah, it was an interesting combination of Red Bull and alcohol for me that mm. kind of took me somewhere else a little bit. 
Um, I'm definitely not comfortable enough being on camera without having a beer to put in my hand whenever I feel very aware of the fact that I'm on camera. So yeah, yeah, yeah. it's good for me to have that little outlet. I just imagined everyone listening to me was naked and that worked, <laughs> that worked the charm. I imagined that I was naked and it made me feel <laughs> way better. <laughs> I'm not wearing anything under this t-shirt. <laughs> yeah. I'm not even wearing a t-shirt. This is all the tattoo. Yeah, yeah. I could see your right arm tattoo quite significantly for a lot of the podcast. Yeah, yeah. I'm getting that removed as soon as they make the technology available to get rid of the color red. <laughs> I think I'll just you, you could always just like rework it into a different thing. I think I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna get it completely covered and get this arm completely covered too and just have two sleeves. Nice. And you'll never go cold when you're outside anyway. <laughs> <laughs> That's the idea, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Lucky man. Uh, well, for some, you finance types are all just always thinking ahead, aren't you? I don't understand the stereotype about finance types. Oh, my types. God, man. You're, but that's because you're, like, in the fishbowl. Am I, John? Am I? <laughs> <laughs> what was that? All I could see were bubbles coming <laughs> in. <the> <laughs> What is the finance fishbowl? What do we do that's so different to you doctors? You, you rip off the everyman. I do rip off the everyman. But the difference between me and most people who do it is I get enjoyment and fulfillment <laughs> from it. And, and it's legal. I, I, I have like an approach to, to working in finance that is better than everyone else because I am better than everyone else. So It's an interesting take. I won't deny or acquiesce to your claims. Acquiesce, great word. Mm. I would love if a band made a song. Uh, a one song where they had the word acquiesce in it, and a second song where they called it acquiesce. Yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'll make an album in the next week, and then I'll, I'll suggest it as the album we have to listen to and analyze. <laughs> Can you imagine you did that? <laughs> so this and, and I introduce it really mysteriously. So this, so this album, Doctor John and the Mysterons, check it out. It's just, yeah. I don't know. Found it on Spotify one day. Yeah, yeah. It was on my MacBook when I bought it. <laughs> I've no idea who made it, but sure, let's have a listen and see if we can figure it out. The first note, and you're like. I like that. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, all the tracks are like copyright, Dr. John. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I'm going delirious between Red Bull and tiredness and a, and a horrible foreboding and anxiety I get usually before any work day. I love, um, it's like one of my favorite things that I'm so open and honest about my anxiety that like I'll explain it and someone will just go, ah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, that's it, isn't it? I'm still going to fucking live, unfortunately, so, you know, <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Anxiety sucks. It does, yeah. Um, and, I, and yet I do so many things that amplify my level. Shitting razor blades, some waking up next to me.
so 